I'm detecting some anomalous readings on the podcastometer. It would seem that tonight's episode is going to be extremely good and funny. Inconceivable, Captain. Unbelievable. It couldn't be. This Trek Chats <laughs> of all podcasts, a good one? Impossible. This must be a time loop. Engage. Perhaps we should talk to the audience and see what they think of the podcast. That's my Deanna Troy. <laughs> The first one was Data. Were you doing Worf? Yeah, I was doing Worf. Okay, great. That's awesome. It, data is a fun one to do. Data is such a fun character to do, to do impressions of that characters in this season do impressions of Data. And <laughs> yes, it's great. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. It, that particular episode, I think impression is not quite the word that, mm, for what yeah. that kid's doing. But uh, Oh, no. I was talking about the Troy one. She tells ah. him what, what Data said about friendship. Welcome to Trek Chats, everybody. The number one Star Trek first time watch podcast this side of the neutral zone. Uh, of our podcast feed, yeah. Oh, sure. Um, welcome back. It's been about three months since our last time talking about Star Trek TNG. We watched season four last time, and we decided to go straight on through to season five. And so that's what we're discussing tonight. The entirety of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5, episodes 1 through 26. We're going to cover all 26 of them. We're going to put them in a tier list. We're going to tell you what we thought. And we're going to have a nice a nice time of it. Okay? Yes. Um, but, Alan, first, I got to know, it's been, a, it's been a while. It's been a while since our last Trek Chats episode. Indeed. What's been going on in your life for the last three months? This season? Whoo! Well, we had a new year. And I mentioned I would say this on the podcast. I'm so glad to be recording a Trek Chats in a state of mind that doesn't almost lead to me throwing up. Because <laughs> uh, some behind the scenes when we did Trek Chats four, I was like, oh, really I sick. Oh yeah. yeah. And I and forgot. you would and you would also not be used to, uh, confused to forget because I cut it out of the episode. But in that right. half. You may notice, oh, is Alan flagging a lot? Well, dear listener, I should not have been podcasting that night. I had a really bad case of the actual fucking flu and uh, was so sick that I, like, dry heaved into a basket after we recorded the first half. Just a little oh behind the scenes. Gosh. Totally fine. Totally came out of it fine. Actually, I was a little sick earlier this week because I traveled to Washington, D.C. last weekend. Mm, and uh, fun. I, I had, like, a 48-hour. Am I cold? Am I? Do I have a cold? Am I dying? Oh, no, it turns out I'm just really tired. So, uh, totally feeling fit and fresh and ready, 
Um, but yeah, otherwise, like, yeah, that, that trip was awesome. I was just telling the gentleman about my DC trip. Very, very fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Watched a lot of Star Trek. Chilling in my apartment. I've been doing bar trivia every Tuesday. Work is going well. You know, life mm-hmm. life goes on. The, the big green orb continues to spin, as they say. What about you? Yeah. Uh, spring has sprung. In, uh, what has it? Yeah, March, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, March 15th. Yeah, spring has sprung, and wouldn't you know it, we're here, and uh, I'm feeling, I was listening to our last episode to try to get my bearings a little bit, and uh, I good? did not watch, huh? Any good? Yeah, it was fun. I, okay. I like our sh- I think we do a good show. I mean, hell yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't keep doing it if I thought it was bad. <laughs> yeah, hey, but anyway, yeah, last time I watched a ton of episodes in the car back from Massachusetts with my girlfriend and uh I did not have that big long car ride, so I was kind of cramming it into other moments and it's funny. Amanda was like, "Oh god." It's Star Trek time again, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Or I was kind of like, just so you know, next week I'm going to have to watch a lot of Star Trek. And she's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it is a self-imposed curse that we put upon ourselves. We were actually also talking about this. We're going to make bitter um, a more like deliberate effort to spread uh, the viewing. I know we've been saying that and it's kind of unrealistic to say like we're going to do it over the three months that we give ourselves. What we're going to do, just again for some behind the scenes, and so that we don't have our partners and family members and roommates be like, "Are you guys good? You're in like yeah, a where did you go? Ah, where did you, you go? Are. Oh, where you're dead. You you're functionally useless for a week. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is we're gonna be actually watching over the third month, so uh, we're not gonna watch over the whole three months because I mean, realistically, what happens is we forget what happened, like. It's so wild to me that season one of Chats was, like, recorded about episodes we watched months before that, before we recorded. <laughs> It'll never stop being weird. Um, so we're yeah. going to we're gonna condense it down to a month. We're still releasing every three months. Now, nothing is changing for you, the listener, but the way we are watching is going to be more equitable, I think, for us. More intentional, yeah. Exactly. Um, we'll, yeah. Do a mid, we'll do a halfway through the month private check-in, not recorded, just to be like, hey, did what? how much have you watched? Where are you? Yeah. Etc. Let's let's make yeah. ourselves watch the first half. Um yeah. yeah, season five though. TNG, we did it. We made let's it. Talk about it. So um I I love checking in on general impressions, uh comparisons to previous seasons. Is this an upswing from four, kind of a, a dip? Uh major themes, characters that popped off or were sidelined for you. What what are your general thoughts on season five? Yeah, I'm happy to provide them. So, like, the watch experience was super nice for me. I did a decent job spreading this way this season out. Um, I definitely front-loaded and then back-loaded and didn't touch it for a couple, like, weeks there. But otherwise, I didn't feel myself crammed at the very end, even though I watched Times... I saved Times Arrow for today so that I would have a finale thought, nice and mm. fresh. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like where the dynamic of the crew is right now. I think everybody... Um, and we'll talk, we can talk about individuals, but I think everybody on the Enterprise is like so well realized and empathetic, and they want to care about each other and they love each other. Uh, there's a beautiful moment, I think it's in Times Arrow, uh, where uh, someone says, like, Oh, yeah, someone asks Data in San Francisco, like, do you have any family back home or are you visiting family? And he says, Yeah, something like that. And I was like, Oh, we're there. Like, the characters, even Data can say, like, yeah, this is my freaking family, you guys. Kind of. My yeah. weird, messed up, screwy family. 
I think that not everybody gets like equal billing this season. That's like a bigger issue than it has been in previous season seasons. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's like we complain about Deanna Troy not having enough, like not having enough good plots, and so they were like, okay, problem solved. We ba- she's barely in the season in a meaningful way. Um, when she's there, she's still great, but there weren't as many Troy episodes, and the couple that we got were like kind of, uh, which we'll talk about. Mm, interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and I think as an overall season, it's like a really strong start with a couple of great episodes. The introduction of Ro Laren, played by Michelle Forbes, wonderfully. I'm excited to talk about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like a couple back-to-back really good ones. The reintroduction of Wesley, now that he's been in the Starfleet Academy for a few years. A TOS crossover episode that's fantastic. And then it sags. And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. What happened to TNG mm-hmm. Season 5? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And then by the back half of the season, we are right back on that train, and I am devouring every episode. Like, it's a big chocolate bar. Yeah. <laughs> What's the vibe on your end? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the reality of these seasons is they do not need to be 26 episodes long. Uh, sorry to say, but like... Wow, controversial. <laughs> there's, there's definitely uh, chaff here. I I obviously really enjoyed myself. I love TNG. It's a really fun show. I think you're spot on that like at this point, the characters are there. And I, at different points in the season, felt like everybody was being underused because I, as soon as somebody came on screen, I was like, oh, Jordy, where have you been? I love you. And then you're with Jordy for a while. And then like Worf walks in and you're like, Worf. Maybe. Why aren't you in every episode? And then Crusher comes on and you're like, Dr. Crusher, you're so cool. Like, it's at the point where there is not a character in the core ensemble of this show who I'm not super excited about spending time with, which is like a really great situation to be in. And I think even when like the sci-fi plots of individual episodes are not super engaging the character stuff is honestly some of the best it's been i think like there's some really deep tenderness and like ennui in a lot of the character focused plots of the season that uh that really stuck with me yeah um, genuine surprise also like actually yeah reveals that i did not anticipate which is refreshing yeah and i think the thing that was kind of odd to me about this season is the ways in which it had a few like fairly cohesive and somewhat new ideas for tng um and i have a captain's log where i sort of point out one of the big themes that i noticed in the season but then like plot wise like the superstructure of the season in a plot sense it's not really there as much because we have we almost have like too many things we could be doing because there's yeah. still Borg out there somewhere and there's Romulan stuff that we sort of touch but then kind of not and then halfway through the season we're like and the Cardassians are a thing and what about that and we start with the Klingon Civil War and then we're like yeah never mind but then the Klingons come back for a little bit there's all these like kind of I think the character building is there and then the world building stuff. They keep wanting to look at new shiny new things. Yeah. But I'm sort of like, you have all of these 
really fascinating, complicated geopolitical events that you are like not engaging with on a consistent basis, which I think is just an artifact of like when the show came out. But I'm interested to talk about that that tension for me, which is that the like thematic cohesion was among the strongest I've seen in the TNG season. Um, but now more than ever, I feel the tension between an episodic versus a serialized structure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk about that next. Like what are some themes that you felt like cropped up a lot or repeatedly in season five of TNG? Um, yeah, I have a, captain's log where i address one of those this is kind of randomly from in the middle of the season mm -hmm. so and it's like three minutes long um so i'm gonna play that for you now okay okay i'm ready okay captain's log start date you can hear that okay 3rd, yeah 13 PM. okay so in the midst of watching episode 12 violations but i was uh, typing up some notes that i had thought about on the train today for episode 11 hero worship which is the episode where the kid emulates data in order to process his trauma yeah. and i was thinking about two trends that i've noticed in season five so far which is pretty good season um following in the footsteps of season four we're in quality tng um and whereas tng it felt like uh, or rather season four it felt like it was really interested in familial relationships it feels in particular that this season is interested in the position of children within familial relationships it's no accident that Worf's son returns in new ground that we follow that immediately with another episode about uh, a father and a son that the entire thematic core of unification is uh spock's difficulties with his own father through picard and people keep repeating the phrase fathers and sons um <laughs> and i also find it interesting that in the midst of all that the central antagonist of the season is uh spurred on by a complicated daughter mother relationship and so we're kind of seeing different characters who both kind of one-off characters who are children processing traumatic events or moments and navigating relationships with parental figures and then also adults who had to do that when they were children and didn't find the sorts of things they were looking for um so that was kind of the big thematic thing that i noticed um and that was mid-season, and I could come up with a bunch of other episodes that continue to support that theme. I oh, think yeah. that's in the inner light in a big way. Yes. That's like in a funny way in the Luaxana Troy Alexander hangout episode. Mm -hmm. um, that's in that random ass episode where that girl has the imaginary friend. Oh, imaginary, imaginary friend. friend. Right. There it is. Um, so, yeah, that theme of like the place that children have in this world uh it was like a different thing that i don't think tng has hit quite as cleanly or repeatedly as it has in season five um and that was just interesting to me because last season we noted how family is such like a core was that what there was an episode called family right yeah um i'm not sure if that was episode last season, two or season three or, or whatever um 
but uh family has always been a thing but this like kind of parental relationship is more specifically a season five thing i think yeah agreed that's 402 you were correct um yeah i think children definitely come up a lot it's so interesting to me that fans uh like sci-fi fans especially always grouse about like episodes featuring kids right like every star wars the clone wars episode skip list that it's like oh cut every droid episode and every kids episode and it's like tng could have really annoying kid episodes where it's like oh i'm a grumpy child and i can't be handled or oh i'm possessed and i'm real i'm scary and it's like no they actually just treat the kids like kids who need right. to learn and talk about the value of like educating children in a meaningful way uh and it doesn't mean like the kids act like adults it just means the kids act realistically like kids they complain about the right things and i think that's like really well exemplified in this season in so many yeah. po- spots um yeah. I-, I think also the show is starting to tackle a bit of uh like existentialism and why p- people like trying to decide mm-hmm. what their life is about yeah um this especially obviously comes up a lot in the back of back half of the season the back third even uh right but like Ro Ro Laren figuring out what her role is on the ship and like Jordy now after all of his situations in three and four being like, who am I on the engineering team? Uh, and everyone, everyone on the ship has this, you know, Picard deciding which funny jacket he should wear this week. Uh, lots of character identity <laughs> stuff. That jacket, to, dude. Oh my God. I wanted to talk to you about that jacket. That jacket is so fucking crisp. It's really crispy. Why uh, did he get a jacket? Was was uh, Patrick Stewart just like, I'm cold on set. Can I have a jacket or something? <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. Suddenly he gets a cool little bomber jacket, but it is nice. Oh, my gosh. I love it. The thing that kept bothering me is I think that uh, uh, Mass Effect and Mass Effect video games like wholeheartedly use this jacket. It's one of the things that Shepard wears on the ship. And I was like, whoa. I see. I have, a, um, I have a quick uh, question for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm, I don't want to say Mary fuck kill on our podcast, but okay. you understand. Mary Ferengi kill. Mary Ferengi kill. <laughs> um, let's say, okay, because I'm going to ask you about three outfits. So there's okay. one that you get to wear for the rest of your life, one that you wear for a night, and one that you get rid of. Okay. okay? The jacket, the Picard jacket. Uh-huh. The dress uniform, officer's uniform for special occasions like weddings and whatnot. Yep. Where it's like a little longer. Um, and then the classic, the classic jumpsuit that whenever anybody stands up, they have to like pull it down a little bit because it punches <laughs> up. <laughs> so. As somebody who has a really big belly and has to pull down my shirt frequently, I can just strongly relate. Uh yeah. I think okay, so I think that jacket, that not the jacket, the last one you talked about, the the, the suit, the skin tight suit. Yeah, the classic one. Yeah. What were the options again? Um, you wear it for one time, a special occasion, or one night, or whatever. You wear it every day for the rest of your life, and you get rid of it. I think skin tight suit is wear it one night, just to like know what it feels like. Yeah. I think the jacket is the rest of my life. Yeah, I love having a comfy jacket. It fits for all types of climate, easy breezy. And then I think yeah. I don't, I don't need that fancy outfit. We can throw that out. Mm. What about you? Jacket for the rest of the life. I mean, that's an easy, that's an easy choice. Yeah. And then I think I switched the other two. I would love to know how the normal Enterprise outfit feels, but 
I can't pass up the the fancy little dress suit that Picard puts on when he sees the love of his life uh, being <laughs> married to somebody else. Q, what a nice little thing. Q, <laughs> yeah, we we talked about this last episode. I'm still a Q card shipper, one thousand percent. Thank God there was no Q in this season. Oh. That's why it was such a relaxing experience because there's no Q. I hate you. Not a fan of you anymore. Uh, by the way, Google. But there's also no um, what's his face, the guy, sad guy, nerdy guy who we love. I, I really want to let you get to it. I want to let you get to it. Fuck! You just said his name before we started I recording. Did. I can see his round little face. His, <laughs> his, Cute, his cute, cute mouth in my mind, and I just can't remember the cat's name. I don't want to tell you. Shoot, what is it? Reginald Barclay. Barclay, sheesh. It's hard to remember to be to be fair. Um, okay, so the jacket. Google says for a couple reasons. Number one, Picard wanted they wanted the captain to look different than everyone else. Okay. Robert Robert Blackman, the person who designed it, wanted to make Picard stand out from the rest of the crew at the suggestion of Patrick Stewart. The other hmm. reason, according to an article on Looper, this is just like a fan theory, is that Picard wanted to embrace his individuality more after escaping the Borg Collective. Ha. Huh. He started dressing differently. It's, you know, a fun theory, I think. Sure, that's interesting. But yeah, that's a cool, cool blending of the real life, which is Patrick Stewart was like, can I look different? And the character of Picard going, hey, can I look different? Yeah, and those two things lined up nicely. Very interesting. Okay. For sure, for sure. Um, gosh, what other like big picture stuff is there? I mean, like you said, so this is the last season of Star Trek to premiere on its own until Voyager's sixth season. So from here on out, we're intersecting different shows are coming mm. out. Uh as I mentioned before, a movie came out at the same time. So the TOS movies are still coming out, Undiscovered Country, which is what uh the two part unification episode is a crossover with. Yeah. Uh, partially. I think Undiscovered Country is the Whales movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I do believe that's correct. Pretty cool. Still haven't seen any... Oh, I've seen a lot of TOS. I just haven't seen the movies. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, last season to feature the title of the show in the opening credits. Or they changed the way that that looks. Like it, the blue hmm. background streaks, I guess. Interesting. Interesting enough. No, one of the only seasons with no cue. Tragic. Maybe he was just invisible in the background looking at Picard during, uh-huh. inter, during Inner Light. And yeah, it is uh, one of the later seasons ep- seasons that features an episode that I, Alan, had already watched because I watched Inner Light ah. like the day that Star Trek TNG hit um, Netflix. Like this is probably nine right. or ten years ago. Right. I was like, oh, people say Inner Light's good. Let me watch it. Oh, I'm a I'm a I'm crying. Oh my god. Yeah, I should watch the rest <laughs> of the show. And then I didn't for a decade. So here we are. <laughs> um, we will talk about that when we get to it in our rankings, though. Yeah, we will. Um, any other big like table setting that we need to do? Um, I don't think so. I, I'm a big like general character stuff. We'll get into more as we go on, but this is just me wanting to give a shout out to Jordi LaForge. Yeah, I feel like they wasted that man this season. Mm-hmm. Like they keep doing this thing where they don't use Jordi, and then in the back quarter of the season they do two episodes where it's like hey remember jordy he's in it and it's like guys guys give me way more jordy laforge please i love Riker. i don't need as much Riker as you give me give me more jordy give me i'll say it give me a little less wharf okay tons of great wharf 
Give me a little more joy. Well, we got of worth is amazing, but you could you could if you want to even the balance, give me less worth. I guess definitely give me less Riker. I love Riker too. Him playing uh, a trombone at the end of the season, Beautiful. incredible. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is an iconic team. There's a couple of meme worthy scenes. We talk about these every once in a while, but yeah. um, the trombone. Yeah, I, I just think that Riker has like kind of set in stone at this point. He's not like developing the way that Worf and Jordy and like other people are. So yeah. Um, but let's anyway. get into it. Let's not be around the bush. Let's start talking about the episodes. Yeah. So speaking of Worf, the first episode of the season is Redemption Part Two. So we follow up on the Klingon Civil War plotline from yes. the end of the previous season. And I will say right off the bat, um, I feel conflicted about them taking that learning from, um, what is it? Best of Both Worlds? Yeah, yeah. Uh, taking that learning from Best of Both Worlds of like, oh yeah, this is what we should do. We should end the season with a f- the first part of a two-parter and finish that at the beginning of the next season. Because, like, jumping back into this one, I was like, wait, who, who's, like, Amanda was watching some of it with me, and I was trying to explain who the Klingons were and, like, what their beef was, and I just could not remember, and I couldn't remember which one was Worf's brother or who the guy in the throne was and why we like him or don't, um... And then the like evil lady Klingons, like what was and your deal? Sailor's whole deal. Yeah. So this was a weird one to jump back into because unlike Best of Both Worlds, where the plot is really clean, Picard has been captured by the bad guys and turned into a bad guy. And what's gonna happen? Are we gonna kill him? Yeah. The like question of this was not on my mind and I didn't know what I wanted answered. Um so it was like hard for me to jump back in. I don't know if you felt similarly about that. No, I definitely did. I definitely did. And like there was at least this much time between Redemptions Part 1 and 2 originally, right? And now we're just getting right. a gap again. Uh, I, I understood a lot of it because I already knew like the sailor reveal just from like uh, osmosis. So I didn't have to like have that explained to me. The episode doesn't do yeah, a good job I'd of explaining spoiled it. spoiled that for myself. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I was like, okay, hold on. Let me pause and like, who are the brothers Duras and Gowron? Which one's winning? Which one's the bad guy? Uh, it eventually just like made enough sense that I was like, okay. And I know that they're not going to resolve this 110% here. So I don't have to understand it perfectly, but I get enough of it that like, I understand why Worf can come back. We already knew he was going to, it, it did what it needed to do just to wrap this up for now. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating that they made yesterday's Enterprise canon. Uh, I know. I know. Just wild, wild, wild decision. That was another thing where I was like, oh, yeah, there was that episode where uh, Tasha Yar went to the past. How did that work again? <laughs> like, I was trying to remember. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't it, know. I like it when TNG has a little bit of continuity. I don't like mm-hmm. it when it has this much. And I think this is a problem of a lot of modern TV and also modern Trek. Uh, like people complain about Picard for a lot of reasons. And one of them is that it has this obsessive desire from what I hear to be like, look, remember this weird thing from 30 years ago that you remember because you're an obsessive Trek nerd? Here it is. And it's like, cool, thanks, I guess. Like, okay, yeah. you know. 
Um, I'm really excited to watch it because I, I love a beautiful disaster. That's what Chats is all about. But I don't need, like, I, and I like that the, specifically the Klingon Civil War works for me because it's about the things that TNG is about. It's family, it's honor, it's uh, mm-hmm. conflict. Why do we start conflict? It's how do we, how does Starfleet intervene in conflict? It's all yeah. the stuff I want. It's just that it lost momentum because we haven't cared about it for three months. Right, we took a big break. Yeah, I agree. If this had been the... I guess there was that interesting question at the end of the last season of, oh my gosh, Worf left Starfleet. Like, how are we going to resolve that? Which was kind of cool. And that's the part of this episode that I enjoyed. Uh, it also kind of... The thing I was thinking about in watching this is like... It's episodes like these of TNG that you got to imagine J. Michael Straczynski is watching and saying like, hmm, huh. I could do that better because Worf kind of like looking at his people uh, descending into infighting gave me big Jakar on yeah. the ruins of of uh, of his planet Narn. vibes yeah. of Narn. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the like. It's me, Tasha Yar's daughter. Felt a lot like some of the time travel stuff that Babylon Five did, yeah. but did in a way that was like a lot more kind of planned and and sensical. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I I think this one's ultimately enjoyable and entertaining, but it isn't served by that big break. What did you think of um, of Sela of uh, Denise Crosby's newest character uh, in the show? I like, like watching, how she's used in this season. I like her look. I like watching her chew scenery with her big awkward coat with the big Romulans have the great huge coats. shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah, Romulans have these great shoulder pads. Um, I think at this point it's kind of like, yes, it's good that Denise Crosby is getting work and she's actually pretty good as this like evil villain, almost like cartoonishly mm-hmm. bad. But uh, I'm losing interest in the Sailor plotline really quickly. And I think that it's still not complete and will come back in some way. But nope. also, no, it's, it's done. Yep. Interesting. Because in my captain's log, I was like, oh, yeah, she's the central antagonist of the show. Uh-huh. Um, that part where she gets like Vulcan neck pinched in Unification Part 2. That's it. That's it? That was such a goofy scene. That's it. She's not in it anymore. And it's like, huh? What are you what are you talking about? Like that's one of the things that bugs me about what season five is doing, is it feels a bit like it's squandering some of these major season long plot potentials because it's an episodic show and it's uh-huh. like a booby boop space adventure type of thing. Um because you it's great to see the scene where Picard squares off against her and he's like, what? Tasha Yar? Oh my, oh my God. God, what the fuck? Uh, and for her to explain this horribly tragic backstory of what ended up happening to Tasha Yar when she went back to the past, like that's sad and terrible. Yep. Um, and you just, you want to see her like continue to come into conflict with the Enterprise and continue to spearhead the Romulans doing pesky things. And then they just don't do it, um, which kind of makes it hard to look back at this ep- at this episode and be like, yes, Sayla, wow, I'm so glad that she's mm-hmm. in the show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So anyway. Worth noting, speaking of like this show influencing other shows, we are now bumping into the 90s. So a lot of our favorite sci-fi shows like Farscape and Babylon 5 are coming out. So 
This is February. Um, sorry, this is uh, this is ninety two. Nineteen, but like late. Oh, this September? is ninety one. September ninety one. This episode. Babylon Five starts in February of ninety three. So like yeah. it's being it's made. It's being, but it's being made, and that's why people always say because DS Nine, from what I understand, does the like more uh, Klingon conflict, bigger war plots, Cardassian war plots with big continuity like implications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know people always talk about how like JMS wrote or the 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 hearsay is that he wrote the script uh, for for DS Nine and then it got or for his own show tried to sell it they didn't like it and they presumably took it and ended up making it into DS Nine, uh, yeah. and so this is where like all of that is now starting to happen is you start to see the seeds of like he sees an episode of, like Redemption Part Two and goes huh interesting war let me write something. About a war that actually, <laughs> yeah. like, and then, and, like, what if we did this on a space station? How does that track with the war? Oops. Star Trek just made that, like, like a couple, like, a year later. So. Yeah. I digress. This is a fascinating time for TV production and sci-fi television, like, building up on itself. But Gowron wins the day for now. Duras's legacy still lives on. The bad guys are not all dead. Uh, and, like I said, yesterday's Enterprise is canon, so anything is up for grabs. Where do we rate yeah. this one? Um... It's hard. I've been trying to nail like what the curve is for season five. Um, yeah. This is like B to A for me. Um, I don't know that I would go S here, but I could be persuaded to go A if you felt strongly about it. I I think you you recently brought up the concept of hell yes or no, and. We started mm-hmm. using that on the on the quorum, actually, in my other podcast. Like, if something is not like a hell yes, we're not keeping it. And mm. I think that this is not a hell yes, so I'm okay putting it down to B. Although yeah. I, I I gave it an A in my rating. So before people are like, what the fuck? I, it, this by itself is an A brought down to a B because it's been so long that the and the emotional stakes drop off a lot. Yeah, just contextually in the season, it doesn't have a lot of consequences and it doesn't like it's not a best of both worlds where the rest of the season is about the fallout of it. Yeah. It's not about this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, okay, well it's done. Worf's back to doing his thing and on we go. My last note about this one. um, Data deals with a guy named Hobson on the enterprise because he's temporarily made captain. And this Hobson guy keeps Mm -hmm. undermining him and being racist towards androids. Bigoted, I guess. That's this one. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause that Picard is great. like I have to go. Picard is like I have to go help out the 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 Klingons. Can data data your temporary yeah. captain of the ship? And this well, they guy even is... send data to a different ship in like the the yes. uh, Armada or whatever. Like yes. data shows up and he's like, "Hey, I'm your boss for the day," and everyone's like, "Cool." And Hobson is like, "No, you're a freaking robot. I'm not listening to you, dumb robo." And then the solution is that they shoot the invisible cloaked Romulan ship. And that's how they get found out. And they're like, okay, we can't hide anymore. We were going to blow up your ship, but we got to leave. And he saves the day. Data rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that yeah, enough I... to give you an A, though? Yeah, I think so. I really like the data plot in this one because uh, I like how he rolled in and the dude was like, eh, we should do this instead. Like, there's this moment where the guy. St- starts telling everybody else to do something different and data was like actually you have to go through the proper channels yeah and then data like does accept his idea but makes him do it in a way that respects his authority and it's like yeah oh, that's awesome. the cream this is cool 
Um, so that me watching Data nice. get his authority is like watching the ice cream guy eat ice cream. And he's like, the cream. <laughs> that, 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 that top note. Just as satisfying yeah, at a deep visceral level. I'm ready to talk about 502 if you are. Darmok? Darmok. Did you know that your brother uh, used to have Darmok as his Facebook profile picture? Really? Yeah, isn't that so weird and specific? I want to like ask him why. I love that. <laughs> I was like, where have I seen this alien before? And then I went on Facebook and looked at um his old pictures and I was like, oh my god. No, it's his current it's his current Facebook profile picture <laughs> since March go of 2020. Go to your brother's fix thingy. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Since that's man, so my- funny. Uh I wasn't able to watch with Arthur this time around. Our schedules didn't line up, but Arthur said if he could watch one with me, it would be Darmok. Uh, and I was like, okay, this probably this be good. good. But I was not prepared for how good it is and Holy in what god. way. Yeah. Oh my god, this episode is fucking fantastic. DS, DS9, TNG season five is incredible at unraveling really good plots and not revealing what makes them good until like at least halfway oh through. Oh my God. His picture is Darmok. What are yeah. you talking about? That so is interesting. incredible. Darmok, for those who don't remember or haven't seen the episode, is about Picard landing on a planet thanks to these aliens who for some reason warp him down there and give him no way to come back. And they also drop down their leader. Uh, whose name is not Darmok, but we end up calling him that because it's one of the words he keeps saying. So he's speaking a language that Picard can't speak, and he doesn't understand English or whatever, you know, uh-huh. uh, and the translators don't work. So this is a, like, we remove technology and figure out how people interact with each other. So it is an episode about language and how we communicate with each other and how we understand each other. It is aesthetically very much inspired by the film Enemy Mine. Uh, which we watched yeah. a little while back. Yeah. I really felt like we were just going to be doing Enemy Mind for a while, minus the male alien pregnancy situation that that movie goes into. But, right, right. But um, no, when it leans into the language stuff, you go, you realize this is why I like Star Trek, is it's about people and how we exist and why we exist and how do we talk to each other? What does yeah. language even mean? And what does it mean when we lose the capacity to understand others? Because so much yeah. of Star Trek is about... Uh, like, oh, if we just listen to each other, we could avoid conflict. Oh, we're post-scarcity, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you cannot even say hello to this man. How the hell are you supposed to get them to join Starfleet? Right. Temba, his arms wide. <laughs> it's so dope. Because this these aliens speak in metaphors. So he keeps saying things like, uh, Temba, his arms wide, which is like a reference to a person named Temba in their history who welcomed someone with his arms mm-hmm. wide. And it's like watching Picard solve that is one of the most satisfying plots in all of TNG. I freaking so loved cool. it. So cool. So cool. And such a set for a guy like me who's the translator microbes jerk from when we watched Farscape. Um, and I would always get annoyed when like things didn't tran like idioms didn't translate or people didn't understand each other or whatever, like little things like that. Um, in a show where you have a universal translator, what a genius way to have a plot where characters can't communicate by saying like, well, they're, they're communicating in proper nouns. So like there isn't a literal translation for the things that they're saying. Those translations are deeply embedded in their culture and the way that they communicate with each other. Um, and I've never seen a sci-fi plot 
where that is the mode of communication. Um, but like you said, it's such a satisfying puzzle to watch the characters figure out. Um, and to see Picard by the end of the episode, like the Enterprise is, they're scrambling to communicate and then Picard gets back on the ship and he's learned all of the metaphors and, and kind of symbols and codes of the language. Oh. So he can communicate this complete message about how his companion from their society fought valiantly and died and you know i want to honor him and here's his knife back and they're like no keep the knife you you should keep it and that exchange happening in this set of codes that has also been taught to us the audience so that we can engage with it on that level as it uh. exists in the text is like an incredible moment of science fiction storytelling that I absolutely adored. So this episode was was awesome. Darmak and Jalad on the ocean. Yeah, I mean, like, there is a whole wiki page for the Temerian language if you just want to read all of these. The beast yeah. at Tanagra, which is a problem to be overcome. But, like, yeah, that scene where they have, like, it's dark and he's trying to figure get the fire. And Picard is like, is this a gift? Is this, are you giving me something you like? Are you threatening me? Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting because, like, I'm endlessly fascinated by how Star Trek gives, it tells us, like, this is a society that has everything they need and then takes that from them and says, like, what do you, what are the people behind, like, when you don't have that technology anymore, you don't have a, a, a translator or a replicator what kind of person is Picard? And the fact yeah. that like he tells the Epic of Gilgamesh, because on a fundamental level, that's a story of humanity of like, right. you know, good triumphing over triumphing over evil. And he's like, yeah, this is all like it's 23, whatever. And I still need to tell you Gilgamesh because stories persist, which yeah. speaking of themes that like will come up later in the season, the importance of storytelling and history uh yes comes back in a huge way in the inner light which we'll talk about so yeah and i i think what's so genius about about that scene well part of it like you're saying is is the lesson that picard takes from the episode because at the end he's like reading a physical book of myths and riker's like what the heck what are you doing picard's like i I feel like I should know this stuff. I, I I feel like like connecting with these fundamental human stories about how we make sense of the world, no matter like you're saying how old they are, um, continue to provide us value and meaning. That's that's really powerful. And then what what a genius storytelling moment when he's telling the epic of Gilgamesh and he's telling it as this like story similar to the story of. Um, Darmok what and is Jalad. it? Jalad, Darmok and Jalad. Uh, but in the Darmok and Jalad story, they both survive. Uh-huh. And Picard is telling the story of Gilgamesh because it seems at first like it's the same. But in the Gilgamesh story, Gilgamesh's companion dies. Right. And so Picard is like processing this really anguished moment of like having bonded with this stranger and then having to watch him die, he's using the story of Gilgamesh to like be at peace with that as it's happening to him. Like, holy fuck, this is yeah, so yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. It's so good. Oh my god. Yeah, you can't you can't imagine somebody writing that that many scripts like this in their lifetime. Just like, whew, yeah, you nailed it, top to bottom. Incredible. Um, this is an S tier episode for both of us. I'm assuming. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's one of the best of the show, probably. Definitely yeah. one of the best of the season, I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it was nice to get, to get like, right after the two-parter, just be like, oh, my God, a banger. Let's go. It's season five. Yeah, yeah. Also, the guy playing uh, playing his buddy, when he hears the name Gilgamesh, and he's like, ah, ha, ha, Gilgamesh. <laughs> like, you got to imagine that he's just like, ah, funny name. Weird name sounds Gilgamesh. Um, this whole this whole thing of like speaking in metaphors that people have a hard time understanding. That's how I feel like when I talk to anybody who isn't you, and I like, <laughs> and I reference a bunch of like random stuff from all these shows that we've watched. Like in a way, this is to some extent how you do you communicate with people that you've known for a while, or there's like a shared body of stories yes. that you've consumed is you end up speaking in the shorthand of the stories, which which we've done to a certain extent in this episode, referencing Farscape or uh, Babylon 5 or other things like that. So right. um, it's, it's funny to kind of identify with both sides of their communication breakdown also. That is all language is, is we, we find a couple of mutual things that we say, this means this, right? Okay, I agree. We now have a word. Like that's how right. languages start. So... Right. Also, English is all metaphors. It's just that it's not in the same way. They're not full sentence metaphors. Freaking love right. it, dude. Um, from there, we move on to 503, Ensign Roe, which introduces, as I mentioned before, Roe Laren to the mm-hmm. uh, the Enterprise crew. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a Bajoran woman uh, who is essentially assigned to the Enterprise, um, both as like a peace offering and also uh, they're initially using her to like track down some Bajoran terrorists who attacked the Federation colony. And then mm-hmm. I think she sticks around because they're like, she needs to be disciplined pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, question one, yeah. how do you feel about Rolaren? Um, So I really like Rolaren. Um, she is like a fairly stock character trope i feel like of i'm yeah i'm a lady but i'm i don't give a fuck like why are you looking at me yeah. you know yeah. that's kind of her vibe in a way that's pretty fun um and is just like i enjoy that trope she doesn't transcend beyond that trope this episode and they don't really give her a lot to do in the season, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, but she's in it a, a fair amount um, as a recurring character. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of she has that vibe of like you're playing a Bioware RPG <laughs> and you already have the the party members you really like. Oh, my but God. You meet a new party member and you're like, you're cool. You can hang out with me for a mission. And then you're like, well, this was fun, but I really liked the other people I was hanging out with. So I'll see you at at our like hub later in the game. And every time you're there, you're like, ah, yeah, maybe I should take you out on a mission, but you just never do. And there's that's like, wrote Laren to me fan, in the show. And there are fans out there who are like, yeah, as soon as she came in, I like played with her for the rest of the game. And she's my favorite. If you stuck around with her, you would have learned so much. And you're like, what? I didn't even row Laren. Yeah, like, like she has plot. Huh? Okay. I'm talking. Okay, that's cool. Uh, interesting except because this is a show that's written they just don't give her too much after this episode to do yeah uh, but i i like the i like the energy that she brings because i think what's important um in a show like this when the ensemble is so um established to bring in a character who can look at these people that we adore and say you're a dick 
like let me come yeah. in here and tell you about yourself or let me like have some friction with you to introduce new kinds of tension into the dynamic and i think she she plays that role pretty well um fun fact the role the character of kira in babylon 5 or not babylon 5 in ds9 uh, ds9 <laughs> um originally that was supposed to be rolaren would would be a central um ensemble member in that show but the woman who plays rolaren turned it down so they oh. like retooled the character to be a different bajoran character um but that's that's kind of interesting yeah um yeah uh, but she, I'll, I guess, wasn't interested in continuing on. Also, she's our first major Bajoran character in the series. Like you said, yeah. Kira will be one in DS9. And this may be hearsay from someone in our Discord, but they said that presumably the reason the only differentiator for the Bajorans is the little um, nose wrinkle is because Rick Berman, who was one of the showrunners of the time, really wanted to like not hide the fact that Michelle McLaren... Is, Michelle... Is that her name? No, not McLaren. Michelle, uh, this person, this actress is really beautiful. And they were like, we can't make the Bajorans ugly because she's hot. <laughs> Which is <laughs> the stupidest thing in the world. Uh, um, that's silly. Uh, Michelle Ford. This is, this is the introduction of the Bajorans in this yeah, yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, and the, we'd seen the Cardassians we had, before, we right? Yeah. Um, but this is the second time we see the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. So... I'm guessing this is one of those episodes that people were like, well, you got to also watch this before you watch DS9. And now we have. Um, it's yeah. uh, done. Easy. Nailed it. Uh, I do think that the Bajoran Cardassian stuff is going to be super interesting to follow going forward. I think the Bajorans yeah. being religious is going to be interesting. Um, at first, I thought I was stretching by thinking that the Bajoran Cardassian conflict is a mirror of like, Israel and Palestine, maybe like people who occupy land and people ah, who want to colonize land. Interesting. But uh, as we'll talk about when we get to unification, uh, the showrunners of Star Trek since TOS are not afraid of just directly referencing uh, real life history and conflicts from history and just putting a sci-fi twist on them. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying, tell me if I'm wrong out there. I don't know. That's what I got the vibe of is what I'm saying. This is what I read it as was um, because the the thing that ends up happening in this episode is there's some fishiness around what is Starfleet doing. There's some shady business that clearly Roe has like a should we call her Roe because that's technically her last name, but well, it's Ensign Roe, I guess. Ensign Roe, yeah. Anyway, um. It's like, okay, she's clearly got another mission. And then it seems like the vibe is Starfleet is under the table going to be funneling weapons and money towards the terrorists so that they can fight the Cardassians. And at that point, I was like, is this like an Iran-Contra thing? (laughs) Or is it a sign? Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is this like a you know cold war america fucking around in latin america kind of thing yeah. what the heck um but then they kind of do uh then what it is is oh we're actually going to deliver the terrorist leaders to the cardassians as like a peace offering mm-hmm. which is a little different but definitely i think this is an episode that's getting into the messiness of like late cold war politics 
in a way that I thought was was fascinating. Um, yeah. yeah, so I it sounds like from Google it. that there wasn't one single inspiration for this conflict. One of them was definitely uh, Israel and Palestine. Also, like, Got it. Ha- the conflict in Haiti, the conflict with the Kurds, uh, you know, the Holocaust. Like, it's all there, you know, homelessness, mm-hmm. terrorism, mm-hmm. how those things intersect, etc. But, uh, yeah, I liked, I, I mostly liked for Ensign Row. I think she's just fun, and I love a mean woman. You guys know this about me. A woman yeah, who's, right. like, refuses to compromise and hates people, uh, hates men especially. Fantastic. Yeah. That scene where she's walking with Picard, and she has the shirt tucked in and has the sleeves rolled up. Sheesh is all I'm saying. Yeah, Ivanova on her mission. Exactly. Yeah. Is that I thought that was um Tamarian. <laughs> it's a metaphor. Yeah, it was. Oh, perfect. Oh, Ivanova on her mission. You're right. Um uh, the also just Guinan being like, huh, an unstoppable force. Well, nice to meet you. My name is Immovable Object, and I'm here to ruin your whole day. Is uh <laughs> delicious. She's just like how like you're mean and you hate everyone. Weird. I love everyone. I think everyone's really cool and I want to be friends with you specifically. Don't leave me. And it's like, yeah. oh god. Uh Rose like, uh I um because yeah. they because kind of makes this point. Like Rolaren goes to the bar and goes to Ten Forward and like sits and drinks up drinks by herself. And yeah. And then Guinan comes up to her and is like, did you want to meet someone? She's like, I want to be alone. And Guinan's like, nobody comes to a bar to be alone, which is true. Mm-hmm. Why would you cut? Like, I've done this. I've sat somewhere hoping that someone would talk to me. It's it's like such an easy read. Ro is somebody who's like really easy for a person like Guinan to just break right through. And yeah. I just wish we got a little more of that. And we got more of that through the season because uh, Ro seems like a, she has a lot going on. And I don't know when we're going to get yeah. to see it. Yeah, um, definitely could have used her a bit more in the season and not to spoil too much, but it's my understanding that we do not see very much of her after this point, after yeah. season five, unfortunately, yeah. Um, which yeah feels like a missed opportunity. But yeah, I think the fan, the fan response to her is like people think she was fine and then they don't like where her plot ends, I think, in like season seven. So mm. we'll put a pin in that. And she does come back in this season. That's not to say she's like not here, but um, I see. also the part where they tell her you're in Starfleet. You have to dress like we do. And uh, she has the majority earrings that are like spiritual. And she's like, fuck you. I'm not taking those out. I loved that. Love that little art. Yeah, that was a great moment. But how do we rank this one? Um, I was in the B to A range here. Um. I think the character introduction is great. I think the plot of this one is a little muddled because it takes a few turns. Yeah. Um, I, I I would put it in B then. Yeah, I think B sounds right. I forgot to rate this one in my notes, but it's a B. I wrote in my notes, ginger tea with honey, 80 degrees Celsius. New beverage just dropped because Picard drinks tea. That's at, powerful. Like tea oh, wait, how much? Actually, sorry, that's Celsius. What is 80 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit? 20? Wait. Oh, it's sorry. It's below boiling. It's hot. Uh, 80 degrees C to F. I just want to know because for a reason I'll tell you in a sec. C to F. 176. Okay, yeah, that's tea. That's hot tea. Like right yeah. below boiling. Um, Green tea boils, or you are supposed to keep it a lot lower. And the lower you keep the tea, the deeper and more rich the steep can be sometimes. Because you're not burning off all of the, or you're not boiling off all of the flavor. Mm-hmm. so like when i drink kava i drink it as like 120 or something but i digress yeah. last last random note i have on this one 
Well, two last ones. There's a great line where Rose talking about this dude they're going to go talk to. And Crusher was like, oh, I, he invited me to dance at a thing or whatever. And then Roe is like, we got to go to this guy instead. He has no diplomatic experience and he won't ask you to do to dance. He won't ask you to dance, which is I thought was funny. Um, also, yeah, pro yeah, tip, uh, <laughs> pro tip, the first scene where Picard is getting a fresh cut at the barber lines up surprisingly well with uh, Dog Tooth by Tyler, the creator, which <laughs> I was just like playing on my phone while I was starting that episode. So I recommend people line those two up. Good for song. A fun. Good song. Uh, yeah. That barber, Mr. Mott, this like chubby blue skinned barber. Mm-hmm. I need to play that role. <laughs> I need to be this like call me for Picard season four or whatever. Just like throw in Mr. Mott. He mysteriously survived all these years. He still looks the same. Uh-huh. He talks the same. He just like so it's funny. So how are we gonna fight these guys, huh? What's our strategy? What do you think? And oh. then Picard goes and yells at Riker for giving him too much information. That was fun. Oh my god! I just read about something that happens with Mister Mott. I can't believe that Star Trek is real. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. You know what? Great. I'm glad. But yeah, that felt like a, a character after my heart. Um, that brings us to 504, yeah? Mm-hmm. Silicon Avatar. This one, uh, in reading my notes, totally I I I totally forgot about this one. Uh-huh. Stacked up against the season that follows it. At the time that I watched it, I was like, oh, B to A. But I barely remember this one. From what I do remember um there's the lady who's racist to data yeah yeah oh and there's the return of the crystalline entity yep. yeah from season one what episode was that i was like what are you talking about the crystalline entity that's from data lore it's the lore episode because lore was like gonna work with the crystalline entity right yeah, yeah, yeah. uh weird. it's weird that they brought the crystalline entity back specifically uh and why didn't we get another lore episode i would have loved that uh yeah all that stuff at the beginning was nothing to me the android racism was like fine mm-hmm. uh and i think where this episode worked for me was that the woman uh it like hates data it, it, so it kind of reads like a twilight zone episode if you if you like look at it on paper mm-hmm. um she i'm trying to get her name but the woman uh, survives this attack from the crystalline energy on the planet and she's trying to get the enterprise to help her prevent it from happening again or fully destroying the planet or something and she's working with data and she, they're like she's like i hate data i hate androids whatever uh until she realizes that data downloaded the personality file of her son by downloading his journal and that he can speak as her son so right. she's fully traumatized by like my family was taken by this unexplainable non-human entity I don't trust non-humans anymore. F this. Uh, And then he's able to literally speak in her son's voice. And she is like obsessed with him. She's like, I want to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I want you to tell me what my son thought. And we need to destroy the crystalline entity. Which prompts this fascinating ethical debate with Picard and company where they're like, yeah, it's killing stuff, but it's hungry. It's a big hungry bug. It doesn't know that it's destroying planets. It's just eating like we all eat. Uh, and that's actually really effed up, even though it's murdering people, uh, for us to kill it. Kind of a fun right. little concept there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the part where it becomes Twilight Zone to me is the ending, which is a little silly. Dr. Mar is her name, 
And she, after she makes them, she like forcibly destroys the crystalline entity. She blows it up after they say not to do it because they overcharge it. They're like, oh, if we, if we shoot it a little bit with like our phasers or something, then it'll like go away. But she like cranks right. it up and kills it. And then she goes, uh, Data, what would my son have thought of this? And he says like, your dead son would have been really sad. Like he would have been miserable about this. He would have hated you for this for the rest of your life. And she just has to live with that grief. Like, okay. You knew everything about my son. You literally downloaded his personality and you know that he would have hated me for doing this. Oof. And just that's what the episode ends on is her going like, oh, shit, I made a bad decision. Uh, it's that moment is really memorable to me and really, really sad as like a meditation on grief, which is why I give it a high B, low A. But, uh, yeah. you know, if it didn't if it didn't sit with you because, you know, you're doing other stuff, that's fine. I just I liked I liked where this episode went ended up. Yeah, I'm happy to trust my feelings about it in the moment. I think it, like you said, comparing it to a Twilight Zone episode feels right because it has that same quality of in the act of watching it, you're like, oh my God, whoa. And then you just kind of put it down and walk away from it. And it isn't really that consequential of a storytelling experience for the rest of the show anyway. Yeah. So uh, if you want to give it an A, I'll... I'll be okay with that. Um, but there's definitely higher A's um, in the rest of the season, I would say. I'm not enthusiastic about it. I'd be okay giving it a B. In... A B? Yeah. Okay, let's do, let's do that. A B for pretty good. Breedy. Breedy. Let's talk about the best episode of Star Trek up next. Uh, that's okay. not true. It's 505. It's called Disaster. Uh, a quantum filament disables the Enterprise, leaving Troy in command of the bridge and various groups on different parts of the ship facing perils alone. It's a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. And it's a damn good one, if I have anything to say about it. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Yes. Just this is what happens when you split the crew up. And this is a thing you can only do in a later season of your show because everyone knows each other and they have individual storylines instead of like mm-hmm. everyone needs to talk to each other. It's like the anti ensemble theory that we always talk about like oh everyone works well if they can interact with everyone else it's like no actually everyone works well if they can be by themselves in a cool way or you know shuffled Mm up Mm -hmm. uh we get keiko having a baby delivered by Worf, which is hilarious Mm -hmm. uh Worf Mm -hmm. is not the right person to to have your deliver your baby he says to her now's not the time for contractions great job no he does he comes through when it matters he's just yeah yeah those moments yeah he's not quite as good but, but no, he yeah. he he does get it eventually. I I love warfing this. Uh, yeah. Ro, Laren, and Troy talking to each other is kind of a fun little pairing. Um, it's all just it's yeah. a series of fun moments. I think that's why I felt mixed about this one in the moment. Was like it's a bunch of small little moments that build up to a really good episode, but the individuals are like fine. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think. There's not a ton of cohesion kind of by design. Like there's all these different vignettes of different characters hanging out or interacting. You can't tell me Picard in the elevator with the three kids who become his crew is not awesome. That's probably my favorite of all the plots. That part's adorable. And the bit where <laughs> he's injured and he tells them to go on without him and that's an order. And then the little girl like, you know, confers with the rest of the crew and she's like, we decided we're not leaving you. And Picard goes, well, you know, this is mutiny, but all right, fine. 
And then at the end, when he says number one, and she responds to yeah. it at the same time Riker does, that that's great. Oh my god! And the little kid who was like head of radishes or whatever. Yep. And yep. when they give Picard the the gift at the end, he's like, "I made the back," and he turns it around, and it's like a decent back, but yeah. <laughs> it's like, "Thank you, good job for making the back." Um, I love that plot. I also love on being on the bridge and Ro Laren, I think is trying to kind of take charge of things. And, um, I almost said Conan O'Brien, but that's not Miles his name. O'Brien. <laughs> yeah. O'Brien throws his weight behind Troy because he says, well, technically Troy carries the rank of Lieutenant commander. So she's the highest ranked officer on the bridge. She's our boss right now. Um, the wiki says is great. This is wrong by the way. Huh? The wiki says that that's wrong. That's not how uh, the line of succession would work. But I yeah, oh sorry. really? Not to be like the rules guy, but yeah, uh, I believe that's not that's not the person who it's supposed to be. Oh, who would it be? O'Brien or somebody else? Does it say? It does say. It's just that uh, I'm not remember. I'm not finding it again. I'll find it while you keep talking. Oh, here it is. Following the procedure, Troy should not have been in the chain of command. He decided to bend the rules for the sake of drama. Okay, they don't say who it should have been. I see. But okay. yeah, I agree. It works. I'm glad they did it. Also, they put O'Brien and Roe together so that they could see how they would interact on DS9. And then she wasn't. On really? DS9. Yep. That's why they put them together in this episode. They were thinking about that this early? Well, yeah. It, I mean, it had already been like filming, right? I guess. Yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that makes sense that they would want Roe to then bridge into DS9 because it's premiering in the next year. Exactly. Okay. That's why she's not in this season too much also. It's like in theory, you'd be like, okay, here's Roe. She's on a ship. Here's her deal. Okay, she's she's out of here. Peace. Right. But that didn't happen. That's fast. I wonder why she didn't do it. No, she did not she... want to make a regular television role. She didn't want to be a regular role at the time. Interesting. Yeah, that's the same thing as uh, what's her face? The person who plays Tasha Yar. Diane, Diane, uh, Diane Crosby. Denise Crosby. Denise yeah. Crosby. Denise Crosby. Sorry. She uh, was also offered a chance to return on Star Trek Voyager, but again, turned it down. Dang. Whoa. She comes okay. back. And, she comes back at Picard. Don't tell anyone. I know. I've seen the picture. Oh, my God. That's wild. God, this show sounds so fake. Uh, rate this episode for me. Uh, this one's an A to me. Yeah. I think it doesn't quite cohere, but the individual plots were satisfying. And Riker hangs out with Data's head. That's fun. <laughs> Data's head. They made that prop, and they were like, we are going to use it this season. God damn it. We're going to use it at least <laughs> yeah. twice. Yeah. yeah Let's talk about the fun. game. Oh, the Michael, the Michael Douglas movie? We could. It's a, it's an interesting movie. So what would happen if everybody on the Enterprise, except for Wesley and uh, that one really cool actress, became gamers? Wouldn't that be sad? What uh, a strange episode this was. Totally strange. forgot about it. Especially as a reintroduction of Wesley, mm-hmm. who comes back again in an amazing way later. But this opens with Riker on shore leave on Risa once again. We're on this is like the third time we're on Risa. And this really beautiful woman that he's sleeping with gives him this game. She's like, here's an Xbox One. She hands him the VR <laughs> headset or whatever, an Oculus, I guess. And he brings it back. And it's in the background of the episode while other stuff is happening. 
Aww. Magellan just showed me a cast photo of Michelle fucking Forbes. Forbes and Patrick Stewart looking adorable. Hmm. Um, yeah, he brings it back. Some other stuff is happening on the bridge. And Wesley is like flirting with this girl who likes him because they are both nerds. And then, uh, oops, slowly but surely, everyone's getting addicted to this game and can't stop playing it and wants to force him to play it. But he doesn't want to. Uh, and they find out that it's actually a plot for the woman who gave it to Riker to take over the Enterprise. Uh, and he stops it thanks to Data with a really big flashlight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it's kind of silly i missed wesley i think i i like had the positive vibes came from how much i missed wesley yeah but this is a fluffy ass episode yep i agree with that i i I agree i think that the main driving joy of this is wesley having like a lady friend and them getting along and it's like yeah wesley cool but Ashley Judd is the actress's name who places for Ashley Judd. The I wrote Manic Pixie Dream Engineer in my notes. There you go. The whole thing where she's like, I have 101 laws for everything. It's like, are you played by so Natalie Portman in 2002? What's thank happening you. right now? Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, the what is the game supposed to be? You know, because <laughs> nowadays if, tornado. <laughs> right. Nowadays, if this episode hit TV, it'd be like, okay, they're doing a thing about apps or smartphones or something. Are you trying to say something with this? Are you not? And it just seems like something you want to do. Is the game like giving people little tiny orgasms or something or what? I think it's just giving them really intense dopamine hits. It looks like they're getting hit. Yeah, it looks like they're getting orgasms though. Um, So this is a B to me, I think. I think it's a B on the strength of Wesley, yeah. I was going to lean C, but I think that he brings it pretty hard. Yeah. I just missed him. Uh, I had a couple notes on this one that I wanted to uplift. One, Wesley mentions that there's a Sadie Hawkins dance at Starfleet Academy. <laughs> and it's just funny to me that somehow those still exist. Uh, do they exist now? I mean, yes, obviously, but... Probably not to the extent that they did when the show was being written. Right. Not as common. So it's just funny that he's like, oh, the Sadie Hawkins dance is coming around again and nobody wants to go with me. And then, um, uh, okay, I wrote, this is what I wrote. Okay, I see the game as a sex toy and this whole plot as Wesley and his new friend experimenting together. In this, this is from my notes. I was really uh, On one. trying to entertain myself. In this context, Picard saying, come is an invitation into the sexual world of adults. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote, the mother figure voice gets more faint <laughs> because <laughs> Beverly is the one who tells Wesley to play the game. You're being, yeah, um, you're being shoot off stage with a big cane. Right, there's something Freudian about that. Anyway, um, and then I said, actually, what this episode felt like is all of the years that I spent not having an Instagram account and people being like, no, you gotta get on Instagram. And then I finally got on Instagram in 2022, and it felt like the moment where Wesley was forced to play the game. Anyway. I'll shine a big light in your head, and it'll go away. Thank you. The moment where Wesley talks to Picard, Picard's like, did you talk to Boothby? Because remember when Wes left, he was like, tell Boothby I said hi. And he's uh-huh. like, yeah, Boothby didn't recognize you until I told him who you were. I was like, oh, my God. I'm so sad. <laughs> you can see Picard go, oh. 
My, oh, my hero. My friend. What? My one friend. This comes back later in the season. Yeah, we will talk more about Boothby. <sighs> okay. Then we hit this this little chunky little two-parter, Unification, parts one and two. Dedicated to Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. All right. just passed away Did during you? the filming of the season. Yeah. So the gist of the plot of both of these episodes, and then we can kind of talk about the particulars of how we would rank one versus the other. The gist is, okay, Spock, you know, Spock. It turns out he's hanging with Romulans. What the heck is up with that? Picard, you better go figure this out. All right, let me go talk to Spock's dad. Hey, Sarek, uh, your son's talking to Romulans. Sarek's like, ah, he probably thinks that we can unify or some shit. Picard says, okay, that's weird. I'll go try to talk to him. And then we go into this whole thing about how there's a underground group of Romulans who are trying to rebel against the Romulan government and they want to reunite with the Vulcans and Mm -hmm. become one society again. And uh, Spock is like single-handedly trying to orchestrate that, which is uh, wild, a a wild thing. Picard calls it cowboy diplomacy, (laughs) um, which is the first of two times in my notes that I wrote that Picard is a huge narc um that's one of those times uh yeah but also he's not wrong this is spock thinking that he can like single-handedly bring these two planets together is funny um and then it turns out that there's a scheme with sayla and she's trying to create like a computer spock to uh basically trojan horse and invasion of vulcan and then we beat the bad guys and and that's it that's unification parts one and two. Um, what were your thoughts on this one? Did you feel like one half was stronger or weaker than the other? I think the writing is really good. I think these are not like visually really interesting episodes, even though I love Vulcan culture. And obviously I'm a huge fan of Spock. He's one of my favorite, probably like top three Star Trek characters overall. Uh, he's great in TOS. He's amazing in Strange New Worlds. Uh, and he's great in uh, in this it was amazing mm-hmm. seeing Leonard Nimoy again. Rest in peace to the absolute god. Uh, I understand that my nostalgia is a big reason why I like this. But I do think that, uh, I mean, the Romulan and uh, Vulcan plotline has always been pretty interesting. And in this episode mm-hmm. felt even more, like speaking of uh, episodes or, or plots that seem like they may be referencing something in real life. This is a big East and West Germany situation. Right, right. Uh, and which lines up with time and lines up with what they would want to care about. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that like minute to minute watching this, I was not so into it, but I really, really cared about like what's going to happen to the Vulcans and the Romulans. Um, I would love seeing, uh, Spock. It took the whole first episode for them to tease him. And I was like, please just fucking show me Leonard, please show me Nimoy. <laughs> and then they do at the end of the first one. And I was like, yes, there's my dad. There's my real dad. <laughs> Um, but then like part two just gets so actiony and silly in the way that part twos always do. And the stuff with Sayla and like Spock neck pinching her is just like, it's cool to see him neck pinch someone, but like they immediately get rid of this villain that they could have kept around to be interesting. And they're just like, oh, she was cartoonish to start. She's done. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just love Spock so much. It's, I'm real. It's really hard. I, I immediately gave both of these S's. I don't think that's realistic, but uh, I just, I 
care deeply about this character and I'm there with the fans who are like, oh, the Spock episode, he's back. He's going to fix the culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to give both of these an A because the first episode builds really well and the second episode is the Spock power hour. Yeah. Um, but if you want to put one of them lower or both of them lower, I'm I'm not going to be mad. Yeah, I think the thing that's tricky for me is both of these halves have really amazing scenes. So Picard talking to Sarek for their last conversation in the first half is a great scene. And I love that Picard has this connection with this character that kind of felt like was a part of a of a throwaway episode or a fan servicey thing in a previous season, but now is being brought back and built upon. I was I was satisfied that that happened, and I think that their interaction is like tender and and sad. And then I loved Picard and Spock's tension with each other, um, and I loved Spock and Data talking about like being human, being an android, being a Vulcan and figuring out kind of like which parts of those identities to forward versus not. That was actually the second half of my captain's log that I didn't play. I'm remembering was about how another theme of the season is characters having kind of like dual identities uh, that they're moving between or that they're trying to find the balance between. And for that conversation between Spock saying, well, there's the Vulcan half and the human half and Data's like, oh, you kind of like have left human society, but you don't really fit into Vulcan society because you're human. <laughs> and Spock and Spock being like, Picard is like so emotionless and calculated. And Data's like, Picard? Like the incredible nice guy who I love so much, who loves me and everybody? Yeah. I guess, but you don't really know that guy. Just such such good um, interactions between those characters building off of a long history of yes. of things. And then interspersed with that, you have that weird scene where like Riker plays jazz with the alien lady and <laughs> Worf sings Klingon <laughs> opera. And you're like, who are you? Please stop it. So to me, I think putting both halves at A just to average it out feels feels fine to me. Okay, I appreciate that. And you should yeah. watch more TOS just for Kirk and Spock, one of the best ships of all time. It's the juiciest right. uh, for a reason. So yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Also, yeah, this may you want to watch uh, the TOS movies because Undiscovered Country was also coming out. So bingo bongo. Oh, I wrote my notes because Sayla, this is so stupid, and it's going to age this episode immediately. Sayla uh, plans to tell the the um uh the vulcan people that like hey yeah we tried peace and it didn't work or something or no it was like we tried peace and it turns out the romulans are just going to take us over and that's going to be totally fine she uses a version of spock like a a voice hologram module fake mm -hmm. spock and i wrote oh no sailor's got that premium chat gpt spock <laughs> can make an ai spock yeah. stupid delete that from my notes that's funny um yeah great stuff Great. Oh, no. So then we go into episode nine, a matter of time. Um, I I gotta say, from the season, this is one of the like less serious episodes that I really enjoyed. Partly because yeah. I would love to play this guy. Um, 
I'd be the yeah, I'd be the, the barber. You get to be Max Headroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the purpose of or not the purpose the the synopsis of this episode is you've got a guy who comes onto the Enterprise who claims to be a time traveling historian from the future, and he's like, I picked this day to hang out with the crew of the Enterprise, and I just want to study you and like ask you questions and stuff, and. The Enterprise doesn't have any vetting process for someone like this who claims to be from the future. They just say, uh, okay, let him walk around and we'll kind of see where this goes. And you learn over the course of the episode that he is not a time-traveling historian from the future. He's actually from the past and he's planning to steal gizmos from this century so that he can bring them to his time and be lauded as like a, a genius inventor basically so yeah. he's a huckster a scam artist who's trying to you know essentially fund like the greatest scam possible for the rest of his life um but in the process he's like he keeps dropping things of oh you know what a wharf thing to say or like wow it's so amazing to see you guys really here doing this like I, i've read about it but do you always sit over there at that part of the table? The, those little things that he does that at first you're like, is this guy just weird? And then you learn. <laughs> he is weird, but not for the reason he says. He's bullshitting them the whole time. Yeah. Is really, really entertaining. Um, so this is just a fun one. There's not really a lot more to it than that, but I, I enjoyed it. I think that actually what pushed this one over for me was the debate between Rasmussen, a.k.a. Max Hedrum, the, the guy and picard about like the ethics of using somebody from the future to help with a problem in the present because what's also happening in the ship plot mm. is that they're trying to rent a planet from exploding due to a climate disaster climate climate right. crisis come up more than once in the season which is interesting yes. it is interesting and they end up bringing it down to a really risky maneuver that will either kill like thousands of people and then the planet will blow up or or no if it works it'll kill like a thousand people and the planet will be saved. And if it doesn't work, it's going to kill everybody. And it'll instantly cause the climate, the planet to be gone. And he's like, well, we could just answer this. And we could avoid any conflict if you just told us. And uh, Rasmussen's like, well, I can't tell you because that would break the timeline. And he's like, well, isn't it your, you know, this obligation to tell us? And you could save, like, how can you live with all these people's lives on your hands? Oh, I've lived with way worse, Picard, like all this stuff. And then finally, what I love is that Picard chooses the risky maneuver because that's who he is. And yeah. it's like almost inspiring for him to be like, sometimes in life, you can't not do things because you're afraid of the worst case scenario. You have to accept that you, like the least common evil. You know, it's rather the evil you know than the evil that you don't know. And if we try mm -hmm. this and it goes mm -hmm. a little bit bad, at least we fucking tried it. I love right. that. I love Patrick Stewart, like with that whole speech. Uh, and that part was really great. And they saved the day and it's really dope. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I wrote in my notes that the, the reveal that he was from the past was an ass pull of a twist. I don't necessarily feel that anymore, but uh, it's funny. And the fact that he's from New Jersey is the funniest freaking part of it. <laughs> this random dork from like 1990s New Jersey is like, hey, sick. I'm going to get a time machine and like go back. Yeah. Uh, and the way I really like the out. twist. I, I thought it was clever and fun because it explains why why he would be bullshitting them so much, which is like he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't uh, actually know the future, but he's yeah. like good at pretending that he does. Um, 
There's a moment where he goes to talk to Data and Data's listening to like four different classical uh, pieces at the same time. And Data says, oh, I'm listening to this and this and this. And the guy says, well, can you just, can you not? Can you reduce the number of things you're listening to? And Data peels back each song one by one. So good. <laughs> Such a funny, weird scene. And that moment where Data's in his room listening to four songs at once is what it feels like to prep for an episode of Trek Chats. Um, I'll just say that. Can I give you a couple alternate takes of that joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Data listening to four songs at once is, is what it's like to have ADHD. Correct. Data listening to all those songs is what it's like to watch those videos where it's my dinner with Andre and Subway Surfers <laughs> King play at the same time. So, many, <laughs> so much potential yeah it, it was great yeah. i loved that scene with the music i thought that was really funny this this is a tier to me yeah i don't oh, yeah. know if that's high but it's just it's a fun one it's it's enjoyable i think a tier defines like this is really good and but has a has some little flaw that makes it not great which for me that little flaw is like the twist is a little bit too silly i like it but it's a little mm-hmm. bit too silly and there isn't enough of like Picard explaining why you we should be allowed to we need to save people and like that's yeah. not just good. It's just a one scene of it. Yeah, I think I interpret A as like I could tell you what's not great about the episode, but it doesn't impede my enjoyment. Whereas a B is like Yeah. Eh, it kinda got in the way of me enjoying this, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then an S is like, nah, this shit's good. Yeah, no qualms. No qualms. We're nearly uh, halfway round, episode ten. Just that website you can play Flash games in the 2000s, right? Oh, that's Newgrounds. Sorry. <laughs> S tier. S tier. Oh, boy. Alexander. Dun, dun, dun. Alexander. <laughs> uh, look around. Look around. And how lucky we are to be Klingons right now. Uh, Alexander's back and he stays on the ship because Worf decides that he would rather be a dad than a man. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. It's it's. I love this, this concept that Worf... Now that his uh the the mother of of Alexander is gone, that he's a uh, Kalar. Mm-hmm. That Kalar is gone. That he's like, all right, well, I don't I don't want to keep him. I have work to do. And so much of this episode is Worf being like, ah, oh, geez, I should really. I have an exercise. Oh, we have new employees that we have to train. I have to like go. I have to do my job. My life is my work. And then he gets a call from school being like, Alexander is acting up, and he's like, fuck. Or like, we need paperwork to sign him up for classes, and he's like, fuck. I have responsibilities as a parent and I can't keep pretending those don't exist because that's how Alexander ends up like I did. And plus the tragedy of Alexander, like the parents giving him to Worf because they're like, we are too old to raise a child. He wants to run around and live his life and we don't have that the capacity to do that. Beautiful storytelling. I just, yeah, yeah this like felt so human that it's almost not a sci-fi story. Like it's just about a father and his son and i liked that about it a lot it was very warm to me yeah yeah i love i the i did not expect to get so much wharf alexander stuff in season five but the way that they establish that relationship here and then take us through several ups and downs of it there's off the time i had three episodes where the wharf alexander relationship is one of the core character concerns of the episode and that was not on my tng bingo card but i'm very happy that we invested the time in that relationship because uh 
it pays off. The kid who plays Alexander does a solid job. He's adorable and like has some pathos as well. And Michael Dorn is just rocking every conflicted daddy moment that he's in. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, I at the moment when he has the superhuman strength, the super Klingon strength to lift the beam to get mm-hmm. Alexander out from under the rubble because like there's a fire on the ship is awesome because it's like mm-hmm. parent parent power parent adrenaline because later in the season Worf fails to lift a piece a metal rebar and I was like oh or a metal beam and I was like oh shit like that was like adrenaline that helped him do mm-hmm. it the first time so mm-hmm. I love Worf I love that this is where Worf is going they could have taken this character and just done like more conflict stuff more Klingon war and honor stuff and instead they freaking brought him down to our sensitive ass level and made him a freaking dad and mm-hmm. i love this for Worf. i truly do and i want to see way more of it yeah and this is the one part of the season that does follow from what happens in redemption because um because part of the story of redemption i mean I have misgivings about the way that they portray Klingon society um, and the inherent kind of like, I don't know what it is, the Eurocentrism or the something of of it uh, mm-hmm. feels weird. But, you know, the thing that we can take positively from it is Worf is recognizing like, I was raised in a society where men were expected to play a certain role and... I feel pretty disillusioned with that and I don't really want to do that anymore. And to see him now wrestle with that as a father raising a son, um, I think is really powerful because the way the episode ends is he recognizes, well, the thing, the like type of upbringing that produced me was this really harsh Klingon school setting and I could send you there and they could, quote unquote, set you straight. But like, I'm unraveling that for myself and unpacking that. And I don't want that for you. And so for him to then instead say, or Alexander, I could task you with a greater challenge, which is to stay here with me and like yeah. figure this out. And what a beautiful moment for him to recast his masculinity and kind of duty bound stuff instead of being a go off and become a hardened emotionless guy like me instead the the great challenge of of the warrior who will face the fight is like how do i connect with my son like fuck yeah Yeah. (laughs) this is cool let's do that so i i really appreciated the tenderness of of that and how that sets us up to return to this a couple more times later in the season and see how their relationship develops, but also regresses or continues to have tension. I think it's a really, really well done. Is this a low, a low S or a high A? Um, I don't know. I think it's a high a to me i i want to be a little choosier with the s's um but i do think it's a pretty solid a okay yeah i agree i i wrote high a low s in my notes yeah okay so new ground 
So then we basically do the same episode again, but it's uh, with different <laughs> different characters. Um, no, it's different. But uh, it's hero worship. So there's a kid who the Enterprise finds who was in the wreckage of this unfortunate accident. And Data saves him mm-hmm. or something, right? Yeah, he lifts him out of some rubble. People get lifted out, out of rubble a lot this season. Yeah. And the kid kind of attaches himself to data and then starts to imitate data as a way of distancing himself from his emotions as he's processing his trauma. Um, And then the crew has to kind of ask him, well, what really happened? We need to know he's not ready to confront that he's hanging out with data doing data stuff and then ultimately is able to kind of reaccess those memories and move through the thing and become himself again. And uh, it's a really, really, I think, beautiful story. Um, And I love what I like about Deanna Troy. You said earlier, there's not a lot of Deanna Troy in this season, which I think is true, or there's not enough Mm -hmm. um, like Troy episodes. But there's way more of Deanna Troy being like a counselor and talking yeah. therapy stuff, um, which which I like because it felt like we lost some of that in the last couple seasons. Guinan's doing more of the kind of coaching people stuff. Troy, where does she fit in? But in this season, Troy is doing some therapeutic practice and talking about, well, actually this is the way that he's processing this. And uh, I liked the role that she played in this episode. This is another Patty Stu directed episode, by the way. Oh, Patty. I think he does the human stories really well. Again, this is like sci-fi, mm-hmm. but not that sci-fi, which is with the, like the space of TNG that I really love. I agree, mm-hmm. though, that Troy is his counselor here. Like, one of the people on our Discord is always like, oh, Troy never has anything useful to contribute to, like, group scenes, which is a somewhat valid point. Like, on the bridge, when they're talking to people, all she ever says is, like, that guy seems angry. And it's like, yeah, no fucking duh. Like, I know that. But, right. like, when she is a counselor and gets to just, like, listen and empathize, I think it's actually really important. And it reflects, like, what the show is about, which is communication and how we listen to each other and, and come to understand each other over huge like the barriers right. so like they could very easily say uh this is the thing i keep saying about like that when kids come up on tng is one they're so well performed always mm-hmm. the kid who plays mm-hmm. timmy is like so believable as he tries to emulate data speaking of doing impressions of data um mm-hmm. that you really feel like he's he's trying his best and you see him cracking a little bit and that's the sadness but also yeah we could just say, like, okay, this kid's weird. We need to, like, put him on some medication, and we need to, like, figure him out, and then we're going to make him talk to us. Uh, and instead, they're like, no, no, no. He's doing this for a reason. Wouldn't it be actually more useful if we just leaned mm-hmm. into it and told Data, like, let him dress like you. Let him wear his hair like you. Let him do that so that we believe. Because that's actually a really effective way to raise children, right? If they have imaginary mm-hmm. friends, as we'll talk about, the method to process that is not to say like that's not real get out of that why are you acting like data it's to say like hey if you're like that's why they always say that people who do improv are good at raising can be good at raising kids is because they're good Mm -hmm. at like believing a reality um it's like just listen to the kid he knows he he 
at the end, the core of this, this is a child who thinks that he blew up his whole family and friends and he like destroyed the ship. And that's really right. sad. No wonder he's processing his trauma by pretending to be someone else. That makes so much sense. Um, and the way that he envies Data, because Data yeah. doesn't have to process emotions, similar to like right. that scientist from last season who was obsessed with Data, but this isn't romantic. Uh, Data describing how he can't do certain things. And Timmy's like, you know, you sound like you don't want to be an android. And he says, I am an android and that will never change. Which he doesn't say, I like being an android or I want to be one. He just says, I am. And we're going to move on. <laughs> I would gladly yeah. risk feeling bad at times if it also meant that I could taste my dessert. Because they have ice cream together. And he's like, what do you think about this data? And he's like, oh, it's got, you know, vanilla and cream and strawberries in it. He's like, but do you mm-hmm. think it's good? And Data's like, I don't have that ability. So mm. I think it's great to learn about Data here. I think Timothy's Timmy, whatever, is is really good. Um, and I think that the emotional finale works really well as well. So yeah, um, this is a high B, low A for me. Probably a very low A. I don't know. Yeah, this was an S for me, so I'm happy okay. to settle on A. Um, I loved this one. Yeah. Yeah. Also worth noting. I looked into this. This type of trauma is like extremely uncommon and not super realistically portrayed here. I don't think it has to be, mm, but sure. that's just worth noting. If people are like, is this real? Like kind of people do develop personalities around their trauma all the time, but it's not like I'm a robot. Don't talk to me unless you treat me like a robot. It doesn't always work like that. Mm. Um, God, this next one, huh? 512 violations. Yeah, what a strange, strange episode. So there's also a few episodes in this season that are concerned with memory. And like you were saying, I th- I think it's kind of related to that idea of like history and societal memory. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a few episodes that are about personal memory. We'll obviously talk about the inner light um, later and like conundrum is an episode where everybody loses their memories and there's a few. Um, Then there's this episode violations where we have a group of aliens on the ship who um, are empathic and can like interact with people's memories or manipulate them it turns out and one of them goes about interfering with invading the minds of members of the ship um first and foremost invading the mind of deanna troy and essentially mentally raping her um for all intents and purposes that's what's shown to us on screen yeah um in the guise of Will Riker um, and it being like a memory of an interaction that she had with Riker. Uh Then there are other moments where he invades the mind of Riker and um, puts him in a crisis scenario where he fails to save someone on the ship. He invades the mind of Crusher and maybe this is a real memory or a manipulated memory of Picard leading her to show her the body of her dead husband. Mm. Um, And then we keep returning to the Deanna thing. We're trying to figure out why are these, these 
Oh, and he puts every one of these characters into a coma after they have this uh, experience where he's violating their memories. Um, Then he makes Deanna relive the memory and gaslights her into thinking that it was his dad who did it. And then he tries to do it a third time. And it's just, it's real. It's real something what they're doing here. And... Like, I can understand kind of what they're aiming to do, um, but I don't I don't think they're accomplishing this goal. I don't know. How did you feel about about this episode? Um, On a basic level, this episode made me super duper duper uncomfortable throughout. Yeah. Not just the Deanna stuff, although I think that that's really, really rough. Um, yeah. This is a trend in Star Trek to use telepathy and mind melding and stuff uh, to be coercive. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Like we're watching Birds of Prey for the main feed, and Dinah Lance's power set allow- allows her to do certain things like this, like to go into people's minds, not to change things, but to see things. And yeah. I, I made a comment on an episode recently how like, oh, they never talk about how that's a breach of um, consent, and like mm-hmm. Star Trek always talks about it. It's just that it sucks. Like mm-hmm. when Spock has to do it in a TOS movie, it sucks. When this guy has to do it, he's the bad guy. And like, that's what a villain does is they break consent and they do mm-hmm. evil things like that. Right. I don't think that, I think the Deanna plotline brings this so far down for me that I don't even have the like capacity to get into like Riker's storyline doesn't make that much sense. I don't personally believe that his right. worst fear is that he's going to fail to save the ship. Uh, right. I guess I believe that Crusher's biggest fear is like this worry about confronting the her husband with Picard or whatever. But like, yeah, Deanna, they need to stop doing this with Marina. Stop putting Marina Sirtis in sexual assault scenarios and rape scenarios, guys. It sucks. And right. when I read about like how and why they wrote this one, a lot of it was uh jerry taylor and company being like oh you know a lot of stories talk about like physical rape and we thought it'd be interesting to explore mental rape and it's like why (laughs) why Mm. do you think that because like you know i've said like a lot of these stories are not sci-fi and that's good this is sci-fi and that's what makes it bad it's like you just took a thing that's real and made it not real or made Mm. it not something that we can do in the same way like we cannot climb into other people's brains like this and hurt them mentally like this but we can do that so I yeah. just I'm what I'm struggling with is confronting how much I disliked it versus how much how it works as an episode. Um, yeah, I think it's a classic thing that I try to spend the time challenging myself on. Like, am I down on this one because it's poorly executed or because it's like a well executed version of a very uncomfortable thing? I think it's the former. I think it's poorly executed um, and a little muddled. Because also, like, I I think there's a version of this story that's about let me show you, like, a traumatic memory. Because if the Crusher thing really happened, if Picard really brought her to go see her her husband's Uh dead body and she's being forced to remember it, that's one thing because now as an audience member, I'm like, oh yeah, 
Picard and and Crusher have had a really long-standing interpersonal relationship, and this probably happened. And I didn't expect to see this moment, but now that I'm seeing it, it makes sense that Beverly Crusher would be suppressing this, and it would be haunting and troubling for her to revisit it. Um, but then you're kind of doing that in the same episode where there's this like invented scene between Riker and Troy uh, and like did a version of that really happen and the I think that's honestly a big part of what makes me uncomfortable about it is that the (laughs) rape scene is happening in the guise of someone that she knows and we're like not dealing with that and we're not investigating what that means for the Riker Troy relationship and if she feels uncomfortable around Will or what or what like because we also this is like the first time we've heard Imzadi in like three seasons or whatever yeah stop wielding that word like it's a fucking dull knife that's a fucking important concept you guys Like, if you're going to do the Imzadi thing, you need to do it. You can't do it in the pilot of the show and then be like, anyway, they're work friends and they're going to hang out. And now in this season, they're going to, like, kiss on the lips and, you know, talk about how much they love each other all the time. And it's like, wait, hold on. What are we doing here? Yeah. So um, I'm I'm happy to be told that I'm wrong about this plot, but it just feels not good. And like you're saying, it feels like it's putting a female character in this position of like sexual danger and victimhood in a way that doesn't feel responsible. Um, so did your girlfriend watch this one with you? No. Okay. I was going to ask her what she thought about it, but I figure she would not like this one. Yeah. I don't think she would. (laughs) She's not, she's not a fan of how this show generally handles Deanna Troy. She Uh walked through the room, uh, during the next one is the next one the one where it's like the guy that she hangs out with yeah and it's like the love story or whatever she walked through the room during that one and she was like "Ugh, they're doing this again where she's like in love with some random alien dude um so she doesn't love how they handle deanna troy this to me is like c at best i don't know yeah I, i would i put it at c yeah let's do that You want to talk about the Masterpiece Society? Great title, boring episode. <laughs> yeah, done. <laughs> okay, so let's go down a couple of quick hits here. This is a society where they bred out all impurities. Huh, weird. It's almost like that means that you're self-selecting for like a certain type of society. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this like fascism? Is this like mm-hmm. Nazism? Does this have vibes of white supremacy? Do they have a black character tell us that it's okay to have an engineered society? And they really did that with their whole fucking chest? (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, this episode's kind of irresponsible with the whole concept of, like, a genetically engineered society. But uh, it does talk about, like, hey, you guys can't be perfect. Why do you think you're perfect? You have problems, too. And you're suppressing problems that every human's allowed to have. And this feels like it would have come from, like, season two, honestly. This is where I feel like the show is a little bit past this like agreed like oh this society's fucked up and not like we are we're super normal agreed <coughs> and also the problem of one of the men falling in love with Troy and she's like you can't love me you can't leave if you leave you can never go back mm-hmm. um, 
I thought that there was like some good lines. Uh, I was literally reading the day that I watched this uh, uh, about like this article or something on Tumblr that was saying how in an actual perfect future, disabled people would still exist. We wouldn't get rid of their disabilities. Uh, it, we would create meaningful improvements to how they engage with their disabilities. You know, mm. accessibility, mm-hmm. things like implants and visors. And we would work around them, not fix them. So this whole, like, we got rid of, no one gets sick. No one's disabled. No one's hurt anymore. It's like, yeah, of course this doesn't work, dude. It doesn't even, it seems like a low ball. Like, it's not a complicated mm-hmm. sci-fi premise. And uh, I I just felt like this is from an older season of TNG. Yeah. Yeah. Not a huge fan of this one. Um, the guy's accent was also like a moving target <laughs> in a way that I didn't quite understand. Also, not sure why both of them, him and Troy, knew Humpty Dumpty and were kind of like, yeah, Humpty Dumpty on his wall. Like that's their metaphor that they're sharing. Uh, that was a little random. Um, oh, the thing that Amanda said, I'm seeing it in my notes when she walked through the room was, is she a caretaker for every weak male character that comes on this show? Correct. Um, so that's that's a mistake. <laughs> Uh, which is correct. Um, the Okay, here's to briefly play devil's advocate for what this represents the beginnings of in season five that I liked. I don't like this episode. Yeah. But two things that I think are interesting about how it's structured that are executed better in other episodes. One, this is the first of a few episodes where one of our main characters falls in love and Oof. it's like a doomed romantic situation um, in a way where like previous love stories like that have felt a little more frivolous. Um, but in season five, the these like failures in love feel more consequential for Deanna, for Riker, for Picard when they happen to them. Um, because the other thing is this is an episode where like the macro and the micro relate to one another because the whole enterprise crew is having misgivings about the prime directive and interfering and they kind of mess the society up a little bit um, and then pat themselves on the back later and say, well, the prime directive doesn't count for humans, so we're technically fine. Which, uh, what? <laughs> By the way, I wrote that in my notes. Yeah, I didn't know that. The so. Federation is so evil. The Federation is so <laughs> fashy and gross, and it doesn't. It makes it blew my brain open, dude. The Prime so, Directive doesn't apply to humans. Wow. Why? Yeah. So we're like having this sort of Prime Directive. I will not interfere. Issue in the bigger scale, and then in the smaller scale, Deanna's having that same conflict on like an interpersonal level. Um, with do I engage with this this guy or not? And I think there are other episodes of the season that do it better where like the thing that a character is trying to deal with is a an interpersonal allegory for the thing that the crew is dealing with in the sci-fi story. Um, so I just don't think those things are done super well in this episode. I think this one is like a C at at best as well. The only reason I would argue for a B here is because there's mm-hmm. I have a couple lines that I highlighted I want to bring up that are like the show nodded nudging at like it's full awareness of the metaphor here. 
of like what happens when you you try to wipe a society of any impurities right number one um they're saying oh it's like really cool this isn't racial eugenics i mean like we we have like i said we have like a black actor saying that it's fine and then they're like well nobody would be blind in our society and the camera just slowly pivots to jordy and you're like yeah. oh ooh. okay you guys know um a couple lines where uh i like actually got mad at the society and was like yelling at my screen uh one of the guys says, "Are there well? Are there great poets forced to be laborers in your society? How tragic is it that poets have to do work? If they didn't have to do work, then they could just like make art forever." And it's like, "Wait, hold on, hold on. You guys like have the idea, but no, but you, uh, that's the those are the bad guys saying that." Uh, it's interesting that the society's leaders are worried about Jordy teleporting a woman off the ship because it might mess up her DNA and impurify the gene pool. Even more interesting is the fact that we know that the teleporter is killing her. <laughs> when you <laughs> teleport, you die and you get re respawned, basically. Um, <laughs> love that. Want to think about the implications of that forever. Someone's surprised that Jordy's blind. They don't realize that him having the visor means he's blind. And last but not least, LeVar Burton bringing the absolute heat. Let's not forget that LeVar Burton was Kunta Kinte. And he gets to say the line, and I'm going to get emotional saying it. Who gave them the right to decide whether or not I should be here, whether or not I have something to contribute. And I was mm. like, oh, my God, this show fucking gets it. There's like a mm. racial aspect to it. There's a disability metaphor to it. This is awesome. And then they kind of do this whole like, oh, but in our society, flaws are good because necessity is the mother of invention. And again, I'm like, no, 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 wait. Now the good guys are saying the bad <laughs> thing. No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying over here. I don't think that struggle begets inventions. I think problems can be broader than systemic issues. Like let's Yeah. Uh but that's that's okay. why all that stuff brings me to a B. Yeah, you swung me. Let's let's make it a B. I'm I'm compelled by that. If LeVar Burden was not in this episode, it would be a, such a bummer. It's also just like slow. Like it's not a very good well paced episode. I digress. Yeah. Um, do you want to take a break? Let's take a break, yeah. All right, we'll be right back after this brief musical break to discuss the second half of TNG Season 5. Captain's Log, stardate January 8th, 1.30 p.m. Loving the new coverage, and I also had the pleasure of listening to it almost back-to-back -back with Trek Chat Season 3. Rare treat to be able to marathon those. A uh, couple things I just wanted to point out. You had mentioned in The Offspring, uh, where Data makes a child that it uh you wanted to hear data use a contraction and that lol already had and fun little payoff on that in future imperfect when one of the things that tips Riker off that it's all a ruse is when data uses a contraction he says i can't instead of i cannot and Riker's like boom got it fake fraud it's all a fraud it's a fraud it's a fraud it's a fraud alan might get that reference uh, what else? What else? Clues. Love clues. That, I know, I, I get how it could feel until the twist. Like, yes, ooh, another mystery. Ooh, something, something weird's happening. But the fact that it made Data the unreliable factor in this, that Data, who up to this point had always been so dependable, morally incorruptible, and capable of lying, just when it, I remember feeling when I first saw this, 
very, very unsettled at what this could possibly be that would cause Data to double, triple down, even when Picard in that intense, and this is worth watching again, I think, in that intense confrontation between Picard and Data where Picard is calling him out and being like, I know you're lying. You do realize we are going to tear you down to every single circuit. And he's like, yep, yep, I made my choice. This real good stuff. This season, to me, I remember actually I set my VCR to tape these episodes when they were airing at like 2 in the morning back around the turn of the millennium when I finally decided like, yeah, this, this Star Trek thing is pretty rad. So a lot of fond memories. Glad you guys enjoyed it. Can't wait for the next coverage. Welcome back to Trek Chats, folks. I'm still Alan Lester Magellan. Hello, Magellan. Hey. Hey. We're still talking about TNG Season 5. Let's get on with it, then. Let's talk about 514, Conundrum. A strange oh. episode. So, so yeah, uh-huh. tell, tell, tell the folks that, tell the folks why we're about to fire right now. Tell, tell them, let them cook. <laughs> I'm going to let you cook. I'm going to let you cook, buddy. So, Alan... Uh, was ahead of me for the whole time watching this season. And so I had the benefit when I was watching of looking at their notes to see what they thought about the episodes. And so sometimes what I would do is I would write my rating and then I would look up and see what Alan wrote. And for this one, I got to the end of the of conundrum and I was like, Oh my God, that episode was so great. I loved it. I think my favorite of the season so far Easy S. Let's see what Alan said. (laughs) And your notes for this one said, wow, this is a terrible episode. Geez, low C, high D, most predictable (laughs) as possible. No interesting elements except Roe and Riker kissing. So, uh, and I was saying this to Amanda, usually we're like, you know, within a certain range of each other and that's fine. Um, But like, so when you grade... Um, so I work in New York state and uh-huh. obviously I live in New York city. Um, and well, I guess that's not obvious, but anyway, um, in New York state on the state assessments, the regents exams, um, for like the history exam, for example, if you're grading, um, students essays, you need to have two people grade each essay. And if the grades are a certain distance apart, you need to get a third person to grade it. And then it's you just average that third person and whichever the first two they were closer to. And this is a rare case in Trek Chats where you and I need a third grader for conundrum to settle <laughs> our, our dispute here because we are too many letters apart. <coughs> so 
who should make their case first, I guess is my question. I, I, and I don't want to immediately acquiesce like, cause I know I'm, I, I, we are both people who like to compromise and I uh, want to, I want to meet somewhere, but I don't want to just tell you, okay, I was wrong. I will mention for the sake of argument that like, I was pretty tired when I watched it. I watched it at work. I watched a lot of these at work and I loved mm-hmm. a lot of the episodes that I watched at work. So that's not to say that that like broke these view, this viewing for me, but mm-hmm. I just feel like I've seen memory wipe episodes before. The premise yeah. of this one is that a, a mysterious person on the ship, uh, who also the ship happens to have a, a weird red shirt guy that none of us have never met before, but he just exists here uh-huh. named McDuff. Uh, this person erases the memory of all of the crew. We are figuring out who we are, what our roles are, who's related to who, and all of that. That's actually a great premise that's just used a lot. So that was partly why I started out not into it. it was like, okay yeah we've done this kind of thing before and the twist is it's the guy who wasn't usually here uh Mm -hmm. interesting wrinkle in it also that the reason he's doing this to them is so that they will find out maybe we should blow up this ship that's across from us they seem like bad guys probably that's what we do is we're a military ship i think and he's of a member of the opposite faction of the lycians and wants Mm. to blow them up uh before they realize oh wait it doesn't make sense that we're this far in the future and we're shooting people who barely have guns that seems Uh unfair i don't think we're actually a military ship oops um it's just not i just there aren't i didn't have that many moments maybe like the fact that my notes are kind of barren suggests that i didn't Mm -hmm. like it i don't know Mm -hmm. give me your case for why it's actually good yeah so i think to to back up where you're coming from a little bit um a lot of the background information about this episode (laughs) Are the director, or the writer, or producers being like, yeah, you know, the idea was good, but it didn't quite end up being what we wanted. So I'm, I'm like acknowledging that I'm, I think, overestimating the quality of this one. But this is what I liked about Conundrum. I liked that it, on the surface, seemed familiar but then kind of used that familiarity. And this could have been intentional on the part of the episode or not, but to me it felt like it used my familiarity with the beats of this sort of a plot to heighten the like dramatic tension of things because, okay, they lost their memories. There's this random Greg who's like here. So he's obviously a bad guy who wiped their memories or something um not sure what's going on here and then that moment halfway through the episode when Jordy starts giving the debrief on like okay these are our enemies and it's someone you've never heard of before you start to put it together and go oh shit this guy is like puppeting the enterprise crew to kill off his rivals and to me the twist is not it's not really even about there being a twist because it's so obvious what's happening. Um, but it's not obvious to the characters. So then the dramatic question of the episode is when you strip away their experiences and memories and all you leave are like their skill sets and their intuition do these characters do the right thing? And I found that a pretty compelling question. Um, and 
kind of a tense one to watch because throughout the episode, McDuff, the the surprise Greg, is offering what appear to be plausible arguments for going forward and fighting. And it's entirely possible throughout the whole thing that Picard is going to make the wrong choice and destroy this thing. And he does at a certain point and blows up a ship of innocent people. Yeah. Um, and you like not gonna deal with those consequences for much longer though. <laughs> right. Which is annoying. Um, but you see that moment happen from the inside and you can see why Picard would take that choice with the limited information he has. But you have you as the viewer have all of the information. And you also know like when Picard remembers that he did this, that's gonna be a pretty bad situation for him. Um and so that's really fascinating. Maybe they are gonna blow this thing up. I don't know. Um so I liked that. There's also a bit of humor to this McDuff guy just kind of being there at first and you having to be like wait who huh like poochie what's happening <laughs> it's poochie um so that was fun and then i loved like i think the way they resolve the deanna roe Riker love triangle is is dorky um that final scene when he walks into 10 forward and the ladies are talking and they're like hey buddy uh we talked that felt kind of kind of dumb but um to to develop Roe and Riker's relationship with one another and like introduce some chemistry and tension between the two of them when they don't have memories is like a really cool way to get them to kind of like let's remove any pretense in their relationship let's remove any weird history that would complicate the fact that the two of them on a basic level like are probably compatible or would get along or would enjoy each other's company and then let's do that with the dramatic tension of knowing that like Riker you're not supposed to do that <laughs> like yeah this you is, don't do that this you're gonna regret this when you have all your memories back mm -hmm. um and uh, you know he's a bit of a he's a bit of a dog in this one because he's kind of doing that with Roe and having like I love you I think you're my soulmate conversations with Deanna and that's a bit of a bummer to see but I think it's like believably so um, and there's this tenderness to the Riker Troy scenes that I really like where they're exploring the Mzadi thing in a way that's not annoying or doesn't feel arbitrary. Um, but where they're kind of like, ah, there's something about you. Like, I, I trust you. I feel good mm. around you. I don't know what it is. And the icing on the cake is for me, just this little moment. Riker picks up his um, trombone. Yeah. And plays the nearness of you plays the nearness of you where Deanna's sitting right next to him, I got chills. Like, oh, that's so mm. good. Because she she is right there, but she's not because we don't remember who the other person is. So, um, okay. So, yeah, I think there's a layer of this where it's a poorly executed, gotcha, oh, fooled you, tricked you kind of a thing. Or there's a layer of this where we know how Star Trek episodes operate. We know exactly where this is going to go. 
And the thing that's enjoyable is watching the characters navigate these situations with a complete lack of information and us asking the dramatic question of like, where, like, who are we as people? Are we the product of our memories? Mm -hmm. Are we the product of our experiences? Are we the product of our own gut instincts? Would we make the right choice if we knew this or that or didn't know this or that? So, yeah. I, anyway, I, that's my that's my case. Pretty long winded, but I really like the episode. Yes. Um. I. Sorry. Yes, that was long winded. You son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I did. I did talk for quite a while on that one. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that this is a great premise. I just think the execution is kind of, eh. and like, I mean, great, like really great. Like I've read poems about stuff like this. I've seen movies about stuff like this. There are other to shows about stuff like this that handle what you're talking about. Like, what are you when we reset you? Do you still fall in love with the same person? I mean, that's like mm -hmm. so many romantic films. He's like, oh, somebody had a coma and lost their memory. Right. Do they still Eternal love Sunshine you? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is that basically yeah and uh yeah. is there something fundamental to like love and relationships and personality outside of our lived experience um and so i think that's like just a great idea that's handled better in for example and alan please play a clip of this here but that that i think you should leave sketch where he's in the car and he forgets how to drive while driving a car uh -huh. oh, what the fuck come on man go what is your problem, man? Do you know how to fucking drive? No. What? No, I don't know how to fucking drive. I don't know what any of this shit is, and I'm fucking scared. What are you talking about, you psycho? You don't know how to drive? Not everybody knows how to do everything. Driving isn't the only thing. Just move your car! Oh, okay. I don't know how I can! Oh my god, just grab the steering wheel! Fine! That's a funny example, but I do think that it's like a really beautiful concept that I just wouldn't find myself very engaged with. And I'm willing to give it a high yeah. B for that, or maybe even a low A if you feel strongly. Um, but that's where I'm at. Um, yeah, gosh, what would I make the case for? Uh, I would like to put this in A and I'm willing to like trade, make a trade later. <laughs> if oh, there's yeah. another disagreement or something, you can cash that in. Um, but I just, I really enjoyed this one to the extent that it, I feel stronger that it goes in A. I've decided I'm going to get inner light down to D tier if it, if it kills me and it will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kill both of us in the process. Good. Um, um, I want you to. Yeah. Okay. So power play. Yeah. Episode 15. A weird one. What if a bunch yeah, of a couple... Yeah, kind of a funky episode. I was surprised how much I enjoyed this. I went into it like, ugh, whatever, that last one was stupid. What is this yeah. going to be about? And it starts as like a goofy sci-fi premise and becomes a really interesting sci-fi premise by the end. Mm -hmm. Data, uh, Deanna Troy, and Miles O'Brien are uh, the, the ground team, the away team on a planet. And they are essentially possessed by alien, or not aliens, by like former military people who died on this planet many years ago. Uh, is that accurate? Are they trapped? Are the people actually dead? I think they're. I feel like they're actually dead. Um, in this plot, you're asking. Yeah, yeah. The people who possess them. Well, the the people who possess them are. It turns out like aliens. Uh huh like beings who 
were exiled to this place. Um, oh, it was like a prison planet. It, yeah, it was like a prison planet for whatever their kind of energy being species is. Yeah. And they had had previous contact with the Enterprise, like the wrecked ship that they're impersonating the crew of. Yes. So that's how they like knew these things about this previous um, Starfleet um, ship. Oh, and at first they thought that they were the members of Starfleet and they were, or something, and then they're like, oh, no, we're actually the prisoners. Are the like quote unquote? Yeah, ghosts. like in the last moment when they're kind of doing their gloating villain speech, they're like, ah, we're actually not Starfleet people. We tricked you. Couple of, of couple of interesting things here. Number one, O'Brien gets some stuff to do with Keiko and their new child, uh, Molly. Um, I love, love, love the moment where and Komini is so good at delivering this. Where he, in the guise of the alien possessing him. It, the memories of O'Brien are clashing and he looks at the child and goes, I know you, I think. And like over the course of the episode, he's like, I think I hate you. I think that woman is evil. I think this, uh, wait a minute. I think I love her actually. Oh shit. That is my child. Isn't it? Like the slow you're watching O'Brien pierce through the possession is like really, mm-hmm. really cool. Uh, and, and terrifying. Yeah. Very yeah. in like a horror movie way. Right. It's like, uh, this is similar to literally the previous episode. Like what, what, what human element breaks through uh, whatever magic or science fiction you have here. Um, Mm -hmm. I liked all that element of it. I liked, uh, you know, Troy being kind of a cool person fighting people. Uh, I think, I think Brent Spiner has a little bit too much fun being a dick in this. Yeah. It's pretty fun. (laughs) I literally was imagining like a a fiction, fictitious future scenario where someone's like Data's a little bit sassy to someone, and they're like, "All right, Data, don't do to me what you did to Picard, where you tried to choke him out last week, <laughs> or whatever." <laughs> He's just apologizing because he doesn't remember it. Um, yeah, I think this is fun. I think this is like a totally good, fun episode with no no like yeah. huge complaints. So B, yeah, groovy. This sets up a, a trend that comes back later of like. Is it ghosts? Are ghosts real? Is the supernatural real? Oh, no, 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 no. It's just some sci-fi nonsense. Don't worry about it. Yeah. B's, B's a good rating for it, though. Oh, so next is 516 Ethics, which is my favorite type of episode. We got metaphors. We have cultural differences. We got a medical drama. And we have a tragedy at the center of it, which is that Worf is uh, paralyzed from the waist down by a falling cartoon blue barrel. Uh, the, the scene where he gets hurt is so it looks so not painful that I'm yeah. like, that is the crux of the episode. All they did was show a barrel landing on his spine <laughs> and he's like, I can't walk anymore. You're like, what? That looked like yeah. it weighed two pounds. I know you have to suspend your disbelief pretty, pretty much immediately in this one. And this is a Ronald D. Moore script. So, you know, it's going to be like, we're going to do some metaphors. We're going to do some wartime stuff like, yeah, this is him doing his thing. Um, and Worf is constantly frustrated about not being able to be a warrior. And so this eventually leads to him wanting to commit Klingon suicide. But didn't you just decide that you want to be a parent, Worf? How are you going to reconcile those two things? Well, it's hard is the answer. Um, yeah. I, 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 was, I was smitten. I just love Worf so freaking much. And, and I love Crusher. And I wrote that this episode needs to be taught in medical schools. Because mm. something that, like, I actually read online, some people do not like this episode because Crusher, for a lot of it, is spent seeming like she's the good guy. 
because she's like, obviously we can't let him do that. And other people are telling her like, and, and also like, gotta give shout outs to Riker, um, to Jonathan Rakes, best performance in this. When he's like crying about like, I will not take part in killing my best friend. I don't care if he wants to do it. I don't care if his culture says he should do it. I'm not letting it happen. But people are complaining that Crusher is like, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to keep him alive. And it's like, you are basically telling someone that their culture is not as important as yours, where you guys decide that life matters more than your ability to fight. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of ignorant. That's like something that the show constantly wrestles with is like, does our human centric way of thinking that the um, Federation taught us supersede other cultures and like this is um that episode from last season was it half a life where it's like you have to let people who do assisted suicide do it it's like really it's sad but yeah they do it for valid reasons and if Worf wanted to do this he should have been allowed to do this i'm Mm -hmm. I'm glad it didn't he didn't have to and they managed to navigate away from that but uh this is just like top tier writing for me yeah i think the episode does a good job of in a good faith way, presenting all of the possible angles on this because Picard voices the argument that you're talking about where he says, look, we might have a certain set of opinions or values about this, but we have to acknowledge that we're humans. He's a Klingon. And so he has like been raised in a different culture that has different values or different interpretations of this thing. And you can't dictate to him how to like live his life or choose to end his life. Um, But you could also argue that Picard's position is like a little essentialist, you know, saying that like, Oh, he's a Klingon. So he must think this way or that way. There are like limits or flaws to how Picard is approaching the thing too. Um, And then it's also kind of interesting to see Picard, coming from a position of like really being the consummate diplomat by saying at the end of it, like I want Worf to not kill himself too, but I'm trying to accomplish that by like using his, he has this really great moment where he's talking to, to Crusher and he says the jump that you're asking him to make from like, his current values to the values you want him to embrace are it's like too drastic of a jump. Yeah. So you need to make this compromise where you take the riskier option and risk him dying, but also he regains a hundred percent mobility. That's the best you can do. Um, And Picard ends up being correct. But then the episode on the other side of it has, I think a pretty good good faith debate between Crusher and this guest character scientist who is trying to forward this drastic risky procedure where at the end of it Crusher's like yeah Worf made it through that's great that doesn't mean that it was a good idea to do this because we took a big gamble right. on a man's life um and I like that the episode like holds all of those things as true that yeah. Worf got the thing that he wanted. He took a risk and the risk paid off, but also that doesn't mean that that was good medicine because yeah. if you took that risk with a hundred people, you don't kill, all live. right. You'd kill very many of them. And mm-hmm. suddenly that's not, not a good, uh, 
way to do business. So uh, I think this was a really good episode from a philosophical standpoint. And that the moment where Riker comes in, he's like, all right, sure. Yeah, I'll help you kill yourself. But uh, sorry, I was setting up on Klingon oh, yeah. law and custom. And actually, your son has to do it. And oh, my like... heart dropped, bro. My heart <laughs> fucking dropped. I'm like, God damn. Yeah. Uh, so that, at, speaking of like hitting every possible like pain point in this storyline, what if your son had to do it? Okay, make him do it. Make your eight-year-old son kill you. Uh, oh, God. <coughs> it's morally gray. And I think that's why this episode is one of my faves, is that yeah. there is no easy answer. Because like I believe that Worf should be allowed to do this. But also, there's a lot of talk of, you know, Worf, if you just do some physical therapy, you'll get back up to 70, maybe 80% of your original capacity. And he's like, no, fuck that. I'm not losing that 20%. That's awful. And it's like, we should allow people to live with a disability. I just said this a couple episodes ago. Right, Uh, right. But if they don't want to, we can't make them do it. So interesting there. Like, how do we create a society that's like ethical in this way when we have situations like this that don't have clean answers? Yeah. And I also like that it tempers because the season, again, in Redemption Part Two starts with this kind of declarative thesis statement for Worf's character, which is. Come along, Worf. He. Huh? He said, come along, Gwork. This thesis for his character for the season, which is Worf is on a journey of picking and choosing what aspects of his Klingon heritage he wants to keep and which aspects of it he wants to like change uh, in the way that he lives his life and the way that he parents his son. And I like that this episode doesn't unilaterally say Worf needs to abandon his Klingonness um, and doesn't necessarily say that Worf is wrong for holding to that belief but also doesn't say that he's right either because he does have that moment with with alexander where he says look this is our custom this is what i would do in this situation but i've decided that like i need to be your dad so i'm gonna try this instead um and the nuance of that i think is really powerful Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I yeah. um, I think this is a high A, low S for me. Yeah, I'm willing to S it because uh, yeah. we've been we've been cautious with the S's so far, but I think this can go there. It's just one of the best Worf episodes. Simple, and yeah, the first scene is really bad, <laughs> like, but <laughs> that's a factor of how the show was made, not of the this episode itself. Yeah, there's also so much poker in this season, yeah. which we're about to talk about um, it pretty soon. But it's funny because in that scene, Jordy and Worf are like talking about a poke. We've gotten to the point where we've seen them play poker so much that sometimes characters are talking about playing poker. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> this is funny. It's funny. The first time my roommate saw it, he, he caught like only a couple episodes this 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 season. But he was like, oh, do they play poker on the Enterprise? And I was like, buddy, they mostly play (laughs) poker. They're like almost always playing it. Also, from here on out, I have something interesting to say about every single episode. Or there's like a good piece of meat in every single episode. So Yeah. This season is, I think, highly discussable. Yeah. Because it maintains a fairly consistent level of quality. 
but gets weird yeah, in and the, really interesting ways. Exactly. And we're about to talk about the episode that I have honestly been looking forward to talking about the most. Oh, boy, baby. <laughs> it is, there's a lot going on here in episode 17, The Outcast. Mm. Mm. I just, I want to like squeeze the writers of TNG on the cheeks and be like, you almost had it. You always almost had it. You get so close and then you get so yeah. far at the same time over and over. And I love you for it. Don't yeah. stop fucking so- it up. <laughs> So this so this one I watched with Amanda. We were watching it. We were we went to her parents' place um on the other day and we were taking an Uber back to the city from there. And so we were watching it <coughs> in the car. Yeah. Um and you know, it's it's a great episode for that sort of environment. It's like late at night, you're mm-hmm. in the car. Mm-hmm. It's a very quiet tender patient episode essentially what's happening is Riker well the enterprise comes al- across this null space um null gender both, null space <laughs> yeah, we both we both noted in our notes that there's a resonance there between the personal and the sci-fi yeah um and Riker is the enterprise crew member tasked with sending probes and stuff into the null space to map it and see where it's at and he does so with this alien companion from a society that does not have gender. Uh-huh. And so Riker and um, I can't remember the character's name. Uh, the character, uh, the, 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 so the race is called the Janai. The Janai. First of all, first of all. Soren. Cla- Soren. <laughs> Honestly, just to be as someone in the community, that's a very like <laughs> early baby trans name. Well, my name's Soren. <laughs> very non-binary name. So, so Riker and Soren spend several conversations in the first part of this episode talking about gender. Huh? Well, what does it mean to have gender? Well, what is it like to be in a society that doesn't have gender? Oh, well, what about? physical attraction and sex what about like different roles in uh society or family structures or things like that and they're kind of poking and prodding at these conversational topics um in a way that's like pretty good for the time i think the part that obviously shows its age is the show not knowing what a third person neutral pronoun could possibly be (laughs) it's like it happens multiple times in this season where characters are like he she oh okay it that's the only one left (laughs) right (laughs) but Riker like pretty responsibly says like all right I'll do my best this is new to me I'm learning so I may fuck up and it's like okay all right TNG keep going show me more go on and over the course of their conversations it's clear that they're forming a connection with each other they're they're developing a bond and a mutual (coughs) attraction and so you're sitting here watching the show and you're like are they gonna do this are they gonna have Riker have a romantic plot with someone who's non-binary like is that what's gonna happen right now And then Amanda and I are like on the edges of our seats watching the episode and Soren confesses feelings for Riker. We're like, oh my God, this is happening. 
this is happening. Like they're really Star Trek is going to do it. And then the place <laughs> that conversation goes is Soren starts to explain, well, there's actually people in my society who do feel that they have gender. Um, and I feel that I'm female and I'm attracted to men. And Amanda and I were both like, ah, fuck. Ah, beans. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> it's like they handed me a, like, I'm just thinking about like a spiked toy or something or like a spiked orb. And they're like, look mm. at this. They're like, that's so cool. And then they held up a fucking like grinder up to it and shaved off every single edge in front of me. And I was like, no. And they're like, here's mm-hmm. your toy. Here's a fl- here's a sphere, a perfectly round sphere. And I'm like, <laughs> and the sphere represents Riker's sexuality. I'm like, yeah. Ah. Also, Soren goes by she now. Also, uh, she's straight. It's fine. Everything's, but she's allowed to do that. Yeah such a bummer like come on just do do it without I'm, doing that i i, I didn't come know. to this i didn't come to this episode expecting them to do it uh right. i just was right. enjoying the road along the way there this episode actually gets referenced a lot by a ton of like queer trekkies um which is a huge population of the trek fandom these days uh mm-hmm. as like an interesting touch point for like star trek trying to figure out different things because mm. in the early 90s this is probably just a like commentary on gayness right the, like, right that must be what it is yeah it, it's not more common the fact that it's gender is relevant today but that's probably not what they were going for necessarily yeah because it seems like because there is this muddled obviously there's muddling here between gender sex there's muddling between gender identity and sexuality um and also, there's this stuff about how the society essentially has an analog to conversion therapy Yeah, for people who believe that they have a gender in the eyes of the society. So that I'm assuming that's the analog. Yeah. Is it's about um, fixing it's the about problem gayness. in your brain? Yeah. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I just found it super fascinating. It honestly reminded me in its basicness of. When I read H.G. Wells' The Time Machine in college, which mm-hmm. is a novel from 1895 that also depicts a genderless mm-hmm. society as utop- utopian. And I was like, at the time, in like 2016 or whatever, I was like, that's really cool. What if society didn't have gender? Hold on. Hold on. I'm getting a message. <laughs> it says, this will come <laughs> back later in your life. Um, obviously, unfortunate. In, in The Time Machine, the genderless people get eaten by the monster masculine people. And it's a symbiotic relationship where they let themselves die. So it's like a problem in that way. Mm. But in this, it's really just flipping the script and saying, what if being, what if having a gender was bad and evil and makes you worse? And it's like, okay, if you just flip it, that's not actually an interesting metaphor. Uh, Right. (laughs) But I think the person who plays Soren is really giving their whole heart into this. Uh, Does an incredible job. Absolutely. Like yeah. asking Crusher to explain makeup and why women present themselves as more highly feminine than men present themselves as masculine is like getting at something so interesting that men are yeah. the default and women have to present themselves to become like appealing. And she and I'm going to say she because that's what she lands on at the end is like, right. this is very confusing. And uh, Crusher is like, yeah, it is actually. Hold on. Yeah. And like literally next scene, we get poker and we get Worf being like, 
oh, like that's a classic vulnerable woman thing to do. And Crusher's like, I just told someone we're past this guy. So you fucking, <laughs> are you joking? Yeah. The one thing that Amanda took from this episode was like, I hate Worf now because he's so oh, dang. misogynist. Dang. And I'm like, no, but Worf is cool. And she's like, no, 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 no. Worf sucks. canceled. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I ultimately, despite the fumbling in this one and the i think you know we obviously have the benefit of several more decades of like very widespread discourse about these topics that we can look at this and say you there's some confused ideas here i think even in spite of those things the level of tenderness in this episode and patience and like willingness to the way that Riker talks to Soren and says things but doesn't say them with the conviction that they're right just says them with the knowledge that it's how he was raised or it's what he currently knows but he's open to like being wrong or having a limited worldview there's just some like kind of fundamental qualities of how this episode moves through the subject matter that even though it like doesn't quite <laughs> do it, um, there's something about that sensibility that I really appreciate um, and that makes me like the episode um, as a viewing experience, even if we can kind of have those critiques about like, well, what are you actually saying? Or that fundamental critique that you said of like it, it is a pretty status quo reinforcing argument to say well what if it was bad to be straight i bet you wouldn't like that huh (laughs) yeah exactly like that doesn't actually fix the problem and it doesn't really generate empathy in the way that we would want it to um but sci-fi does that a lot weirdly like what if the society what if the thing that you were was bad what if you were Mm -hmm. the minority huh everything about that how just how'd you like that really makes you think so be a better like no it's not working for me so i th- um yeah sorry to interrupt i think like that is why this episode landed as a mid b for me i am willing to push it up to an a for the performance of soren if you want to but i my heart feels like this is a mid b episode yeah i think b feels fair i think um i think the value of this episode is more in like thinking about and talking about it correct rather than the like entertainment experience but i do think that that performance of soren is one of the best guest character performances in the season agreed 100 percent. yeah melinda kulea plays uh soren amazing work melinda are you gonna come back as everyone comes back in star trek they have the same fucking five people always and she does not huh. apparently come back. Damn it. Oh, she was on the A-team for a while. Anyways. Um, let's talk about A-team cause and effect. I really like this one. Yeah. This interesting one. Weird one. Um, yeah, because it, it uh, seems like it's a Groundhog Day type of thing. It's an endless eight. Uh, uh, an endless eight? Oh. Haruhi Suzumiya. Yeah, the Haruhi Suzumiya. Thank you. You're welcome. 
It, uh, yeah, Haruhi in her time loop or whatever the metaphor phrasing would be. (laughs) So, yeah, there's this. Again, this one kind of vibes with me in the way that Conundrum did, where it's a plot that we've seen before. We're in a time loop or we don't quite know what's going on. It's another type of thing where Beverly Crusher is inside of a situation she doesn't understand, but she solves it, which there was one of those last season. So, like, there are ways to kind of categorize this with other Star Trek TNG episodes. But um, what's fun is the way that it's structured, where the loop always starts with this poker game. (laughs) I loved this so much. Because the first time you see the poker game, you're watching it and you say, wow, they're really spending a long time (laughs) on this poker game. They just spent the first three, four minutes of the episode playing poker. Okay, sure. It's weird. Oh, and, and it's in on the come, ship. <laughs> and then you come back to the poker game when the loop happens again. You say, okay, they're playing poker again. But now characters are like remembering that someone was bluffing or they're remembering the card they're supposed to get. And then you see the poker game again and suddenly everybody knows everything that's going to happen. And uh, they realize, oh, we're in a time loop. We need to send a message to ourselves or something like that. And then the loop when they do send the message and suddenly all the cards are threes i was like what's happening why ah, is the loop ah. what what did they fuck up it was so good that just that structural element of using the poker game as the barometer for yep. how much do we know was really clean and and uh i think a good storytelling device uh for me yeah, like Where I don't did know. You land on this one, uh, this uh, episode overall. I think that like the first twenty minutes, I was like, okay, I already okay, I got it after the first loop. I understand. Now I'm just watching. And this is like always the thing with a time loop episode. It's like, all right, yeah. guys, can you hurry up and figure out what I already know and explain to me why it's happening? So there was like a pu- a pretty significant chunk of the episode where I was like not engaging anymore because I knew yeah. this is a time loop and we're figuring it out. Okay, it's still a time loop. Yep. All right. But when we finally got to solving it and Crusher is like, we need to get out of this. We need to do things different. And the reveal of why it's happening, I was like, that is a new and creative way to do this that I've never seen a sci-fi show do. Because like time loop episodes are, you know, a dime a dozen. There's so many. A dime a dozen means rare, right? They're not a dime a dozen. A dime a dozen means like, they happen a lot. Like, it's common. Oh, very common. Yes. So they are a dime a dozen. Oh, that makes sense. It's so cheap for a lot of them. Uh, yes. <laughs> the reveal of motherfucking Kelsey Grammer's one and only appearance Captain on Star Captain Frasier. Here he is. He looks like Frasier. This is 1992. Frasier is on TV. Yeah. What's going on? I was so... As a Frasier fan, I'm eating good. I mean, good here. This is wonderful. I I would just I've seen this screenshot. People have sent us the screenshot. Like, hey, just a heads up. Uh, Kelsey Grammer is in Star Trek, and I'm like, I'll never get to that. And then I saw it, and I was like, wait, no, wait for this three second scene where he's from the past. Nah, shit. Uh, but it's really great because he's like, yeah, we all know what year it is. It's like 2278. And then Picard's like, oh, you guys should come on the ship. We have a lot to tell you. And then the episode ends. It's like, whoa, this was not even the Enterprise's story. We're stuck in the loop that they caused. 
Mm. Uh, this was a Jonathan Frakes directed episode, which explains also why it's like so silly and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but similar to the Haruhi Endless Eight, all the all the scene, all of the loops were filmed separately. They didn't reuse footage. So at first I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. it's a bottle episode." They used the same escape sequence. They used the same poker sequence over and over again. It's like, no, they actually filmed all of them. That's uh, cool. Also, fun trivia. Kirstie Alley, rest in peace, by the way, was going to play uh, his right hand, like his number one. Uh, mm-hmm. She's, you know, his one of the people on Cheers. She was also in Star Trek TOS, I think, or in Wrath of Khan. So they huh. were gonna put her in the background just as a little cameo, but she had scheduling conflicts. Oh, dang. sad. It's a fun one. It's a really fun one. I like that TNG can still do weird episodes like this. Me too. Now rate it. Um, this feels like a solid A to me, like yeah. in the way that um, oh, what was it called? Historian from the Future Guy. Uh, Matter of Time. Uh-huh. The way that that was an A because it like knew what it was doing and it did it. That is the same thing to me here. I think. Mm-hmm. I'm agreed. I'm agreed. 100. percent Great winding down here let's go through them here we have the first duty 519 the return of wesley crusher in an incredible legal drama about the ethics of trying to leave starfleet uh Mm -hmm. and trying to go out in a blaze of glory before you know you're going to get discharged uh this is a like military court drama about young people trying to navigate starfleet this also goes in my starfleet is evil playlist that i'm fictionally inventing right now (laughs) Um, I think, uh, I think Will Wheaton gives with a performance of a lifetime here, just yeah. like torn, ripped apart by the anxiety of having to betray his fellow, uh, you know, students at the academy for the sake of honesty, as Picard tells him. And how honesty at the end of the day will matter more, and how that works in his favor uh, at mm-hmm. the end is like such a good moral tale. Because ultimately, all the Wesley episodes were supposed to be teaching young people, hey, here's how you should be. Here's how you should act. And now, even as an older adult, as a, as a young adult, he's still doing that. He's still teaching us how to be honest and the value of honesty in this, like, really, really well-acted uh, episode. Yeah. I, I, I dug it very, very much. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I think it's another one just like Ethics where it presents the full landscape of philosophies in good faith uh more or less because you can understand why wesley would be under pretty intense social pressure to lie um and you can see how his classmate is manipulating his desire to be loyal and to like protect others and be a part of a, a team and all these things that he came to really admire and value i would imagine out of being on the enterprise for so many years and i think wesley was like eager to be protective of that thing with his friends at starfleet and to like find that there um and so to see that being like to see wesley kind of making bad decisions because he's being torn between two good intentions um is like a really compelling position for him to be in. And the episode doesn't shy away from 
ultimately ending up with like a pretty sad ending for Wesley, which is he's going to have to repeat this grade and everybody at Starfleet Academy is going to look at him sideways for being involved in the death of one of his classmates and for like being dishonest about it. Yeah. And you fucked up, kid. You're going to have to deal with it. Grow from this. Um and you know, it's easy to do that when Wesley's not on the show all the time. We can kind of dirty him up as a character and then let him figure it out and see what happens when he comes back to us next season. Yeah. But it takes guts to do that with a character who's been on the show for so long and is so close to our main cast mm-hmm. to create such a consequential outcome for them and say, well, hey, this is your life now. Um, and it's the kind of stuff that we haven't really seen TNG do all that much, but that is the hallmark of other shows we've really enjoyed. Like that's something Babylon 5 does extremely well is have its characters make terrible, terrible mistakes. <laughs> and deal with it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think this episode is, is really solid for that reason. I do think seeing the groundskeeper in real life is Ooh, dorky. Feet. Booth, <laughs> I'm glad they just took be... care of it now and didn't make it a whole big thing later. Yeah, like uh, it was pretty. It was brief, but yeah. basically, Booth and he also just like delivers exposition and tells us about the students. Right. And I was like, that's not what I wanted out of Booth. I wanted like a longer, meaningful discussion with him and Picard about like his time in Starfleet. But he's just there to be like, hey, Picard, I'm glad you made it. You did what I told you to, which is to keep trying mm-hmm. and be a good person. Um, yeah uh yeah i think this is a nest tier episode what'd you say i think this is an s tier episode s tier yeah i i think so i think i didn't feel that way when i was watching it but on reflection i would agree i just don't have problems with it like it doesn't it may be like the 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 lack of consequence or whatever but even that i think that it's like wesley in universe has consequence for this right uh right didn't notice until now, but this episode, and this will not surprise you at all, was written co-written by Ronald D. Moore. Ronald again. D. Moore, yeah, I just looked at that. And Naren Shankar, who was a regular writer on Farscape. Um, he, you cut you cut out a little bit. Regular writer on what? Farscape. Oh, <laughs> oh, Naren, that's exciting. Yeah. What did you write on Farscape? Naren Shankar Farscape. He wrote any really good ones. The way we weren't. Beware of dogs and liars, guns and money with friends like oh, these. Oh my goodness. Good. The way we episodes. weren't. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Beware of dogs. Right. Stupid episode. Okay. Yeah, that one was dumb. But okay. You got uh, credit forever for writing the way we weren't. <laughs> What's next? Oh, the cost of or cost of living. Five twenty. Uh, on a Troy, Alexander. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> I I love this about TNG. The seasons are s- too long. Yeah, and yet I love that in the doldrums of the later season, they always just toss in a on a Troy episode to spice things up and remind you that there's beauty and joy and delight in the world. She just rolls in with her energy and, and picks the season back up. It's it's extremely fun. She injects the season with much needed like excitement, 
and life yeah. and ties back into the themes of it. I have so many notes on this one. I'm not going to hit all of them. I just want to say I loved, loved, loved every scene with Alexander and Loaxana. I was, I felt like I was high when they went into the holodeck and went into that like bubble area where the guy was making uh-huh. the funny faces with the clown face in the bubble. I was like, what's, yeah. this is too surreal. You guys went too far into the surreal dimension because I'm scared. I loved uh, it. Also because they're, this is the first time we step into the holodeck in season five. That's that Right? Mm. Mm, that might not be true. But it's a very early time. Other people had mentioned the holodeck prior to this point but i don't remember a significant scene where we actually use it before now yeah i can't think of one but uh yeah the parallax century that's what it is it's just a guy with like a rainbow painted face making faces inside of a bubble just going uh uh." and when wharf comes in later he pops the bubble it's like what's going on um but yeah so like it's worth noting that Major Barrett is like still grieving her Gene Roddenberry, as is the whole cast, but she's married to him. Mm. And so the scene at the end, when she's talking mm. to Alexander and she's like, I'm alone in my life. Like, I don't have a person that I love that matters to me right now. He's like, not acting. <laughs> That's just yeah. a real feeling. It's so sad to think about. And it's an episode that's also really funny and warm because her whole thing is like, Alexander is being given rules because Worf has figured with the help of Deanna Troy that the way to, 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 to mentor Alexander and be a father is to give him rules and to make him work within these confines. And it takes the Loxana to be like, that is not how a kid wants to live. You can make your kid listen to you, sure. He's not going to have fun. He's not going to learn to like enjoy life or meet new people. He's going to do exactly what you say and nothing else. So mm-hmm. making little boys reasonable only gives them pimples, she says. <laughs> Cute line. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it's such a great... I love this four-way dynamic between Deanna, Worf, Alexander, and Loxana because yeah. you start the episode with Deanna in her element. <laughs> She's conducting a therapy session between Worf and Alexander, yeah. and you're like, yeah, okay. She. I'm glad that the two of them have her to mediate this, and that makes a lot of sense for them to draw up a contract where both Worf and Alexander are responsible for certain things where Worf like has rules and expectations and Alexander's also like, I don't want you to yell at me. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, and so you're thinking, okay, cool. Things are going to be good. And then Loxana rolls in and undermines what Deanna's doing. And it illuminates that like part of the reason that Deanna Troy's therapeutic practice involves them drawing up clear expectations and boundaries in a contract <laughs> Is because her life as the daughter of Luxana Troy has been so chaotic and like unpredictable where those boundaries don't exist, where there isn't like clear two way accountability. Um, And it makes you think about the way that Deanna approaches her life and her work and the way that she's helping Worf and Alexander, but also kind of imposing her own parental issues on their child parent relationship. Um, it's just such a, the whole dynamic is fascinating. And then there are ways where what Luaxana is doing is really positive for Alexander because it's getting him to smile and have some fun. And also not so positive because now he's in a hot tub watching like 
a body painted lady do a little show for him or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> this kid is six. What's happening? <laughs> he needs some structure. Yeah. Um, so it's a delightful, delightful uh, thing and to do here. It's yeah. about parenting again. Luoxana is teaching this kid fully cognizant that she's like imparting her own trauma and anxiety on him that like, I want to live a life of freedom and comfort with someone else. And I'm putting right. this on this child and Deanna doing that to Alexander. I want a life of control and stability. Worf, why can't you do that to your son? Like I wanted and Worf yeah. being like, I want my son to like me. So whatever makes him happy, like it's just, oh, this episode totally gets the kids dynamic in a way that I can't knock get enough yeah. of. Uh, Alexander getting better and better at laughing. He has the laughing hour. Yeah. Is awesome. When someone sees him yeah. and goes, what are you doing? He's like, ha! And they're like, why do you keep doing that? And he's like, I'm laughing. I'm learning how to laugh. Yeah. It's adorable. The part, well, this is just going to be me shouting out parts of this episode, where earlier Luoxana tells him, like, there are infinite people inside of all of us. Like, she's giving this very poetic, like, metaphor, almost like a Walt Whitman-esque, uh -huh. like, we all contain multitudes. And then later when she's um, she's looking for help with something, he goes, why don't you ask one of the void the people inside of you? And she's <laughs> like, ask one of the many like existing lives inside of your brain. And she's like, well, it's not, it doesn't work like that. I'm not <laughs> like a mutant or magic person. Uh, yeah. And then Worf being in the mud bath at the end. Being like, mm -hmm. You just sit like this. Delicious. Fantastic. Yeah. I, what? I wasn't quite sure what to make of the whole Loxana's getting married side of to this Dougie episode. Milford. Huh? That's Dougie Milford. No, it's not. T Tony J, who plays the bad guy in the show Reboot, and Dougie Milford in Twin Peaks. <laughs> oh, he looks completely different. Dougie, Dougie. I'm picturing uh, Dwayne Milford. Dwayne, yeah, you're thinking of the other one. But Dougie Milford. Yeah. yeah. Dougie. Yeah, I mean, Dougie's, like, pretty chill, but he's also lore important in Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's just that Tony J is great. I like seeing him. I But what do you mean? Like, so you, you said you don't know how you feel about the wedding plot. It just feels kind of random. Like, I, I, I don't know. Because there's just such a good thing going here with the the two parent child dynamics. And then it kind of feels like the episode two-thirds of the way through is like, ah, anyway... We're doing like a marriage thing. And I guess that's sort of about the same idea of like structure versus freedom, sacrificing things versus expressing yeah. yourself. And Deanna's like upset with her mom that she wasn't going to be naked at her own wedding because that's a Betazoid thing. But then the episode culminates in this dramatic, like, you know, seizing your power moment where she is naked at the wedding. And it's like, I understand. I understand symbolically what you're doing, but narratively, this was a little confusing. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an emotional episode. It's based on emotion, not so much uh, like what is literally happening. This is yeah, a part that's fair. where one of the most emotional scenes is when the holodeck juggler says that all of his <laughs> balls are worlds, and then later he's like, "I'm so sad." And looks, I was like, "What happened?" He's like, "I ate the bones." I mean, I ate the balls. And she's like, you ate the balls? He's like, hey, if you ever have a world, plan ahead. Don't eat it. <laughs> Don't eat your juggling balls. You're not going to have any balls left. And he juggles air. It's like it's so absurd. 
this episode is weird and i yeah. enjoy loaxana so much mm-hmm. i think it's a it's, i think it's a low a but i would be giving willing to give it a high b just because there like is an a plot that doesn't even matter and i don't like it when that happens um yeah i think it's i think it's b zone for me uh, but it's like a good oh B. you're watching yellow jackets b zone but um oh b zone b this episode <sighs> won two emmy awards hmm this episode won two emmy awards which ones outstanding individual achievement in costume design okay sure outstanding individual achievement in makeup for a series hmm. right. nominated for individual hairstyling yeah man so that's a b i agree with you there yeah uh let's keep going 521 okay. the perfect mate an interesting one to be sure the first ever on screen like ever filmed appearance of actress famke jensen who would go on to be gene gray in the x-men movies when i was watching i was like who does she look like kind of looks like famke jensen maybe ah, yeah. i don't know that doesn't make sense and then it that is who it is yeah she had another credit the same year, but this one came out first. So this is literally her first appearance. Um, what if a hot lady was a perfect empath who can make every single boy she walks by, but only boys uh, fall in <laughs> love with her. And she was supposed to be given from one warring faction to another one, but the Ferengi let her out early to cause chaos. She flirts with everyone and no one is willing to give her up because she's perfect for everybody, including Data and Picard and O'Brien and Riker and and sorry I when I said everyone I meant the boys this just really emphasized she cannot the boys she cannot create empathy with other women sounds like my ex-wife mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really unfortunate by the way that her name in this is Kamala just a bummer mm-hmm. not a fan uh pheromone releasing empath with a dutch accent is weird it's a weird thing i wouldn't have expected on my tng bingo board i don't know why the frank are in this episode yeah. other than to cause problems yeah, just to remind you that they exist, I guess. Yeah. I like that her empathy for Picard involves becoming a Shakespeare nerd. That's the way that to fall in love with Picard or to make uh-huh. him fall in love with you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, most of my notes are just about how it makes no sense that she can do that to men, but not to women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can see why there was an interesting theory in here about like sex trafficking, female independence. Who are we meant to end up with? Like, what if she falls in love with someone here? Are she allowed to be with them? But mm-hmm. this is a low B, high C for me, actually, because it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I think that sort of those themes that you named would be compelling to explore in the context of this episode, if not for the fact that visually it spends so much time being like, fuck, she's so hot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then for, you know for there to be conversations between crusher and picard where crusher's like this is fucked up she's being trafficked essentially or like she doesn't she isn't at least she isn't able to make her own decisions yeah and that's fucked up and we should do something about it and then picard's like i can't do anything about it. it's a prime directive and then he talks to crusher later and he says ah, actually you know what's really tough though is i have a big crush on her <laughs> And then for Crusher to just sort of sit there and say, don't know what to tell you, but I'm always here for you. 
the, the show just doesn't like interrogate that or the dynamic between Crusher and Picard. Crusher isn't criticizing Picard for like, uh, you know, uncritically falling for her. Um, I don't know. I mean, to give the show some credit, like Picard is aware of what's happening because um, he does say, you know, she's perfect for me when I'm in the room and then somebody else walks in the room and like, I understand what's going on here, but it, I still have feelings. But like, is that what we care about in this episode? Uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, the, this, this show is attempting to get us to uh, the toxic relationship between a woman who cares very much for a man and a man, a main character, a man who doesn't seem to notice. Uh, mm-hmm. Clone High season two just got teased. We just got the teaser trailer, so it, we already oh. <laughs> we're fed pretty well. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he said, oh, we're feasting. We're feasting. If you want to watch it after the recording, I'd love to watch it with you. We're feasting. It looks weird. I um, will say it is nice to see Picard's greatest desires in a woman reflected back at him, like you said, the Shakespeare thing, but also. Someone who says, tells him how honorable he is, says, all I want to do is listen to your voice. And someone who rubs his bald head, you know, those I are would, his like top three, top would, three things. I would easily do all three of those, Patty. I would yeah. easily. I mean, Picard. Uh, huh? Um, I'm willing to see this one. You already did watch it. But, um, <laughs> all right. Is that, that's what you wanted to do, right? See? I said low B high C, so let's give it a C. Oh, do you want to do that? <laughs> No, no. Let's give it a high C. Okay. 522. Yes. 522 Imaginary Friend. Um, Really straightforward episode. Doesn't particularly go anywhere you don't expect it to, in my opinion. Uh, except for the final like twist slash reveal of why it's happening. I would argue that it's arguably too basic. Basically, I just said the word basic like 15 times. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> girl on the ship has an imaginary friend once again kids handled like adults deanna troy is like let's not pretend her imaginary let's not tell her imaginary friend is fake let's instead mm, more address troy it. as a therapist stuff yep check that box off what if my imaginary friend was real though as a beam of light passes through the ship taking over different parts of the engine and causing it to decelerate constantly despite accelerating uh and it goes in front of this girl and makes uh her better her, her imaginary friend isabella a real girl which at first is really cute but isabella is really mean and she makes her not do her tasks and makes her throw mud at alexander and takes her away from all of her friends and is mean to adults and makes and just is a nasty nasty child uh Mm. who can also go invisible whenever she wants so that clara gets in trouble uh it turns out this is in this is the thing. Like Star Trek season five, TNG season five does this this thing pretty often, where it's like, here's a premise, and you're like, that's cool, and then it's like, but here's the fucked up reason for why that premise is happening, and you're like, wait, that's really cool, actually. the The reason is more interesting than the the, the thing itself, because it's an alien who thinks that they notice that the the Enterprise releases a lot of energy, and it needs some to save its planet, so it comes on through this character and says, if I can like take over your ship, I'll aim energy at my planet without having to ask. And then Picard's like, you could have just asked. We, we have enough to give you. It, that's fine. We're just going to aim our butt of our ship at your planet and help you guys out. See ya. 
don't take over children anymore. That's it. Yeah, it's just this one doesn't need to be a Star Trek episode. It was kind of my feeling about it. Um, it felt very like we've seen a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode like this, yeah. <laughs> you know, or something yeah. like that, like a season one Buffy episode mm-hmm. um, where this honestly feels more like a paranormal plot than a science fiction plot. Um, yeah. I think the the girl who plays Clara is surprisingly good and adorable um, and is like a compelling actor. And that's kind of the only reason that I liked this one. Mm-hmm. So, And the part where the alien is like, why are you guys so mean to Clara? And they're like, because we're adults and we have to discipline children. And yeah, you have to I like mean- that part too. I actually was reading an article earlier that was explaining why the Enterprise... It was like, here's... I literally Googled why Starfleet is evil. And it was saying that the Enterprise... Every Enterprise ship that they send out is actually not even close to energy neutral. They're like gas guzzlers. And they've been, like, polluting every planet and, like, system that they go to. Even though it's, like, you know, magical space energy, they're just dumping it everywhere. Mm. Uh, And, you know, it went into the mechanics of, like, how the ship works and whatnot. I'm not, like, savvy about that, but... I just thought it was interesting that, like, again, not a utopian society. Hmm. This is a C episode to me. Yeah, agreed. All right. Three left. Wait, four left. Sorry. Iborg. 523. Whoa. The next three I watched with the chats Discord, by the way. Um, We have a Discord. We have a Trek Chats channel. It's very... It's popping off all the time, and it's full of really cool mm-hmm. people. We watch Star Trek together sometimes. Uh, Iborg. This is the return of the Borg. Through a new character named Hugh, who is a Borg that was separated from the Collective, brought onto mm-hmm. the Enterprise so that they can study him, and it is about the ethics of destroying, a, of committing genocide. <laughs> Wild, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. How did you feel about Iborg? I thought it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would argue great, even. I mean, I love, I loved Hugh. I loved him being like, am I allowed to have singular pronouns? I can say I. What's uh-huh. my name? I am you. No, your name is Hugh. Kind of corny. <laughs> That's Jordy, though. That's Jordy being corny. Yeah. Um, no, I I loved that. You know, it's it's a little funny that it's like episode twenty three of season five, and it's like, hey, the Borg's back. Anyway, see you later. Um, as opposed to like doing more Borg stuff throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just another you know thing that i have with season five not using the material that it has um but i think it's such a such another one of these powerful like philosophical ethical episodes um and also it's really striking and kind of scary for picard and guinan to be the ones to say like we gotta blow Fuck this up. guy. We're yeah. we're gonna turn him into a virus and destroy all the Borg. We're doing that, and for everybody else to say, "Whoa, what the fuck? Are you, are you good? How about you try talking to him?" And then to see both Guinan and Picard go face to face with Hugh and have very di- different interactions with him and emerge from that, saying, "Yeah, we fucked up. We became the thing that we hate, and we." 
need to approach the situation differently. Um, yep. I just thought that was like a really powerful arc. That scene where Picard is face to face with Hugh and Hugh recognizes him as Lacuse. Yeah. And Picard is like, okay, yeah, I'm going to play this role and goes into Borg mode to test if he's still Borgy. Unbelievable. Fuck, that was, it was so scary. So scared. I've never seen Patrick Stewart scare the shit out of me. Like, well, actually, no, we just watched <laughs> The Green Room. But still, Patrick Stewart. Wow, what a scene. I like, we everyone muted at that point. We're all like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. What? Huh? Patrick? I'm scared because like when when Pat when, when Picard and Guyner are the ones that are like you just said when they are the ones that are like the violent ones they are usually our rocks our safety people and they right. are like we gotta kill this thing you know you have a weird plot and yeah someone else made this point but like they didn't ever have to make us empathize with the Borg but this yeah. episode similar to how Hugh is planted into the Borg consciousness and gives them a little bit of humanity this episode plants a like lore and storytelling concept that Shrek will use for the rest of its existence between seven of nine exists because of you, uh, right. card, the show exists because of what happens in this episode. Uh, some right. of the movies and stuff that's going to come up later in season six and seven exists because they let Hugh out. It is like actually very clearly a bad idea to put Hugh back into the board consciousness. I don't know why Picard doesn't understand that, that he's like, Let's give a collective society a little bit of individuality as a treat. I'm sure that will not blow up in any way in our faces. <laughs> hmm. Like it extremely will. And I'm so excited to see it. And I loved you. And I want, I'm, I'm, I'm already excited to see him again. Yeah. Yeah. This is an S tier episode for me. I can't believe that they did this. Eas- easily. Clean, clean it up. Clean it up. Um, 524, the next phase. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't expect to like this one at all, and I was kind of blown away. Um, Tell me more. I got to be honest with you. This was my contractual episode of the season where I fell asleep for a little bit. Okay. So, Ro, uh, Ro Laren in an incredible headband that makes her look absolutely even more God, stunning. God, what a good headband. I fucking loved it. I loved, loved, loved it. Her and Jordy. Uh, are uh, in a, involved in a transporter malfunction that puts them mm-hmm. in a, a liminal state where nobody can see or hear them and they can't touch things. Don't right. worry about the fact that they can stand on solid ground. Don't worry about that. Don't ask questions. Uh, they are basically trying to solve their own murders, figure out why this happened, and then uh, get data specifically to undo them by you know, releasing like a certain amount of electricity or something or like positron particles through the air. And that will make it so they can essentially spawn back in. They're 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 solving their own situation. Really fun concept gives uh, both of these actors a lot of great meat to chew on. I mm. think where it ascends into awesome episode for me is the fact that Ro immediately says, "Well, this is the afterlife, and I'm dead. Let me think yeah. about re- what happened religiously, and what does the Bajoran faith teach me about death and resurrection that I need to yeah. understand." And Jordy's like. We're probably not dead. This is a sci-fi show, bro. This isn't. Can religion and sci-fi exist at the same time? Can religion yeah. and that clash again? Speaking of things that set the tone, is like boom, Farscape, boom, Babylon Five, boom, future Star Trek, science, boom, Lost, like science and religion clashing. And yeah. she's just like, why would we figure this out? We're dead. We have to. We have to accept that. And him being mm-hmm. like, we pro- or she says like, we have to. Um, in order to move on, we have to like uh, resolve our trauma and our conflict. And he's like, 
we need to get electrocuted actually <laughs> hmm. Hmm. is great and it's one of the best yeah. two person ensemble episodes of the show they're just having fun yeah their chemistry is awesome they're so Amazing. fun together that the moment where they meet up in this weird kind of in-between space and they see if they can touch each other and the camera like holds on them Jordy puts his hand up and you spend 45 straight seconds it feels like staring at these two actors touching their hands together to see if they make contact it's just so good they they're together they're such a magnetic screen duo um i loved it and i love the exchange they have at the end of the episode where ro has accepted like okay well we didn't die but and Jordy's munching away on as much food as possible <laughs> um and Rose like, yeah, there's an explanation for what happened to us. That doesn't change the fact that this was like an existential crisis that I just experienced. And now I'm deeply pondering life in the afterlife. And I got to like process that a little bit. But and Jordy's like, yeah, OK, but uh, what if I do a little a little jab, a little joke at you and we have a wonderful laugh together? Wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. And it is fun. It's it's great. This is why Jordy needs to be in more episodes. Thank you. Row has potential. Yeah. I mean, I think to myself, like, what could I possibly not give this an S for? Like, the final conflict yeah. is them doing they discover one of the um I think they're Romulans, right? Uh can yes. also is also in the same phase dimension as them. And they have yeah. like a Scooby Doo chase through the Enterprise from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> where like literally they're doing the like running through doors thing and i was like this is amazing yeah. this is yeah. so clever and well shot and funny and scary and then they eject him out of the airlock which is the most brutal way to kill not the airlock of like a window it's like what's a sad way for that guy to die because he's not physical so he won't suffocate he's just trapped in the infinite <laughs> space forever mm -hmm. that's way sadder than just killing him <laughs> I also love the charm of um, Data Data taking on the project of having um, a memorial service for Jordy, and then you come into that memorial service service, and it's just a big old party. And <laughs> he's grinning. When he's Jordy like, and yeah. Ro come in, Jordy says, "Hell yeah, this is perfect," reaffirming the the Data Jordy friendship and the way that they understand each other. I, I was so charmed by that. And then Riker, Riker tuba. Yeah, the Riker, Riker trombone stuff too. Or yeah. trombone, trombone, trombone. Sorry, it was great. That's that's the meme scene. That's the most like famous Riker trombone part. Yeah. of the show. I think this is an S tier episode. It's actually often referenced as one of the best of the show, which is surprising to me. But uh, I mean, I loved it. Great. Happy no to ask it. I'll probably have to rewatch it. It's fun. I think it's very self-contained and, and like straightforward. It just doesn't have any chaff. Uh, deep breath. Speaking of one of the best of the show. Deep, hold on. I need a second before we talk about this <laughs> one. It's 525, The Inner Light. Um, Often considered the best episode of Star Trek. Definitely one of the best episodes of TNG. Often referenced in best episodes of TV, period. How did you feel about it? Um, uh, well, it was obviously incredible. It's a very good piece of television. Mm -hmm. I think 
anything like this is harmed when you know that it's supposed to be good at least for me yes because my brain is immediately like prove it let's see it um but it won me over very quickly i think this episode does an incredible job I don't know why they bothered to do another episode in this season after this one. To yeah, end it on you. this, fam. End it on I'm sorry, Time Zero Part 1, but like you were booty compared to the inner life. This should have been the end of Season 5 because it's this perfect synthesis of the major themes that we've been following throughout the season. Talking about history and memory, right? Yeah. Talking about the role of parents and children. Um, talking about societal collapse talking about like climate ethical disaster. quandaries and decision making mm-hmm. um uh, talking like all these kinds of things talking about gender roles too is at play here like mm-hmm. all of these different ideas that have been kind of swimming around um individuality and your responsibility to the collective it's all in there like any theme that any other episode has touched this season the inner life concludes that theme for the season and does it in this like super gentle, attentive, patient way. Um, Sorry. That was just great. It's the inner light. I only correct you because it's named. Did I say life? Yeah. uh, Sorry. Light. Inner light. I only, cause it's a Beatles song there. It's, it's named after a Beatles song. Oh, I see. Got it. Yeah. Sorry. Please continue. Um. Yeah, I don't really know what I could say about it. That's like a new take on it. Um, but it was it was a really beautiful episode for me. I think on a personal note, like I've been having more feelings lately about feeling a little disconnected from the reality around me and having a hard time kind of feeling rooted in the present or feeling rooted in my relationships with other people. And so to watch an episode where Picard is experiencing like a simulated reality, basically he's not really experiencing these things, but he draws such deep purposeful meaning from it and forms this really intimate bond with a society that no longer exists um there was something about that that felt cathartic to me um in the like space that i'm in right now in my life yeah um and i was thankful to the episode for that because it it kind of like is i think helping me have the moment that picard has when he comes out of the um experience and he wakes up and he's like i'm sean luc picard i'm i'm on the enterprise all the people i know are here okay all right yeah i'm here i'm where i am and i'm gonna make the most of that um so i i really liked it for all those reasons i'm glad you found something personal connect to connect to it with that that's really important right and I think that the, what works for me about this episode is is like uh, one of the previous ones we talked about. It's kind of morally gray because um, we talked about it in the Discord afterwards. But like 
they couldn't have fixed the society that Picard is talking about that he's um, exploring even early, like right when he gets there and he's like, you guys are already having a drought. It's probably gonna become an issue. And the guy's like, we can't afford to do it. We're not able to do it. And then like years later when he sees that guy again, he's like, what's the update? And he's like, Oh, we're working on it. We actually finally started working on it. Like you couldn't make them start sooner. You tried to, there was no, there was no universe where you would have made the society figure out their crisis faster and it's, so it's about accepting the fate of that. And instead of continuing to try to fix it, which he kind of tries to do for the rest of his life, it's about being like, well, shit, you know what we can do is leave something for the next guy. Pay it forward a little bit. Help the next generation. Mm. Help the next generation. Wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> like, not make the same mistake. That's why they leave this record behind. Is we're going to place into someone's brain like, Hey, the planet you're looking at uh, blew up because we uh, wasted all of our resources and we just didn't advance fast enough. The way I described it was it's like if you play Civ and you don't get your technology up to where everyone else is and you just simply get wiped out. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean those millions of people in your society uh, were bad or stupid. They just didn't figure out the same things that other people did. And like realizing that that probably happened like thousands and millions of times around the world. Uh friend of the podcast arthur was saying also like this is a big theory for like why we haven't met aliens yet is that i bet you a lot of alien societies like didn't make it uh including like us potentially into the future you know and that stuff is just really beautiful and what gets me what like makes the episode make the part where it makes me cry is realizing that picard has to live the rest of his life having lived a life and like lived and died with a with a society of people who didn't who didn't exist uh anymore uh it's just there's so many different angles here on one hand he's living the lyrics to uh once in a lifetime you know the like this is not my beautiful wife the whole like like you're saying about yourself like you wake up one day and realize oh my god what the fuck do i do what is my role here how do i exist here all i have that to ground me is the thing i make like i make he makes music he plays the flute and so when he comes back into the present, it's like, well, shit, this is the thing I know how to do. I never forgot those skills. I spent a whole life learning the flute and I still can do it. So the fact that the theme song to Star Trek Picard is the, is the flute song that he plays at the end of this episode makes mm. me want to cry. <laughs> That's mm. like, whoever <laughs> made that decision is great. It's smart. Yeah. I think what really touches me also about this one is that um it's this big character growth episode for picard because you know as we saw a couple seasons ago like a, a reason that he can't remember her name but the like early love of his life and he chose the stars over that relationship and he's always been a character who behind the veneer of like the stalwart captain he's a wanderer who doesn't really feel like he has a place to be and he's sort of crafted that into like a mission and a way to serve but he has this experience where he learns what it feels like to root yourself to a place and to a community and it takes him years of time in this uh, you know, thing that he's experiencing. There's a five-year time jump before his friend says, hey, I'm so happy that you're 
finally talking like you're part of this community. That's awesome. And Picard doesn't accomplish some great thing. He doesn't save this society. He doesn't discover something that nobody else knew. He doesn't go to a brand new place. He lives in the same house for decades and he tends his garden, so to speak, and he has children and there isn't even like this transferable benefit to having children because he also recognizes that he's having children and grandchildren in a world that will soon end. And so it's literally all just about the inherent value of being here, being now and committing to be in the place where your feet are, you know, and like loving the people who love you and being with the people who are near you, which is something that Picard doesn't allow himself to doesn't do. Doesn't allow himself to fucking do it. Exactly. Um, and it's a really, it's a really beautiful, special thing. And I think it's echoed in what the society does here, which is like all they, they're like the beacon self-destructs after it passes this knowledge to Picard. Right, right. So it's not even about being remembered in perpetuity. It's not about sending some particular message. It's about creating a moment of like shared consciousness one last time to be remembered once and that that being enough for like this entire society that has been gone at this point for a thousand years or whatever Mm -hmm. so many lives and stories encompassed in in that society and all they wanted was for a person to know that they were once there um, is a really beautiful and and tragic thing, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to that, I think the like narrative background element to this that I found the most interesting was that the story credits were um, from a guy named Morgan Gendel, not Mm -hmm. a regular Star Trek writer, but a um, successful Star Trek writer, obviously Uh, he's also Jewish and uh, has said in interviews mm. that part of the inspiration for this episode was reading about the Holocaust and mm. attempting to like see photos of children and families and like want to pull back into history and like be able to touch them and feel what they felt and live with them because mm. empathy is how we prevent tragedy, right? Like we need to yeah. fully see and believe what happens to these people in order to not do that again. Uh, I wish I'd watched this episode before going to the Holocaust Museum in DC because I think that would have honestly like like fucked me up in a big way even more than that museum already did. But like, it's, yeah, yeah, man, it's all there. It's just great. I mean, right. it's a little bit. It, it, I guess it's overhyped in this sense, but it's overhyped for a reason, right? Like, it's just when you mm-hmm. do watch it and when you finally put away the overhype, it's like, damn, they they shot for the moon and they absolutely nailed it. This is a very ambitious and weird episode that has deep like storyline implications for Picard and has something to teach us. It's about the themes of the season. This is an absolute knockout to me. I don't know how, how to, how to say it other than it's overhyped for a good reason. Yeah. It's an S tier. That's not a question. Um, 
yeah, I need to not talk about it anymore. I'm going to start crying again. So, geez, let's let's wrap it up. Um, <laughs> times arrow. <laughs> so apparently, what I read was the reason. I don't know if this is the reason why Inner Light's not the finale, but the reason Times Arrow is a two-parter is because they didn't want people watching this to think that TNG was over. Because DS9 was about to start, and they wanted people to know, like, these are both going to run concurrently. Uh, the show's not over. Interesting. So we need a cliffhanger, even though they didn't write Times Arrow to have a cliffhanger initially. They added it so that people would be like, oh, I'm going to come back to watch more Star Trek in three months. Um, oh, sorry. I'm seeing quick trivia. Did you know that Patrick Stewart, that, uh, that, um, fuck. Picard's son, Cayman's son. Yeah. Patrick Stewart's son. Yeah. Daniel Stewart. Yeah. I did know that. Cute. It's very cute. He looked, yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. Continue. Time's arrow. In this episode, uh, the TNG crew, the Enterprise crew find Data's severed head in a cave with, with, uh, technology dating back to the 19th century of Earth. And they're like, what the fuck does that mean? Data has a basic existential crisis, or everyone else has an existential crisis while Data doesn't. Being like, you're going to die. And he's like, that's great. I'm really glad I know how I'm going to die. And they're Mm -hmm. like, no, Mm -hmm. wait, we love you. What do you mean? And he's like, it's fine, guys. Uh, This eventually leads to them exploring the cave where in a very, very scary sequence, Data uh, sees these aliens with mouths on their foreheads who teleport him into Mm -hmm. a simulated san francisco in the 1940s uh and he meets uh samuel clemens aka mark twain he finds out that guinan was there at the time uh and this is how she meets picard so she tells them you guys all have to go back and help data because that's how we meet if you don't want to mess up the time uh cycle and just as that all starts to coalesce and data has become a successful uh gambler and like money earner in san francisco uh, Mark Twain hears that he is an android, and uh, the Enterprise crew arrives in 19th century San Francisco before the episode ends. 1849. Sorry, that's what it is because he's a 49er. Yeah, Cold Rush. Um, it's fun. My roommate was like, "Oh, is there a time travel episode coming out? And is it this one?" And I was like, <coughs> "I was like, well, sort of, but I don't think this is the kind of time travel episode that you want." Yeah. Most of part one is about like, isn't it sad that Data's going to die? And Data's like, it's really not, guys. I'm actually happy to know how I'm going to die. That's like fine with me. And yeah. pe- people acting weird around him. And then we only really get the San Francisco period piece stuff in the last like 20 minutes. What's the vibe check here? I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's an impossible task to follow the inner light uh, at the end of the season here. And the reality of it is this episode is not trying to end a season. Uh, it's kind of the, like the coda to things, I guess, or the like, well, that's over now. We're going to start our next adventure. Join us next time. Um, but I just, I don't know. I don't really, I can't care about this. Like, I don't like it when sci-fi shows go back in time mm-hmm. to random historical times and have a as someone who used to teach u.s history seeing a show like star trek engage in this very surface level ah, it's san francisco in 1849 and 
there's all this stuff happening, and, uh, hey, fellas, can I join your poker game? And, hey, this is the, it's Mark Twain, and he's here <laughs> to say some funny stuff. Like, I don't give a shit, <laughs> to be honest. Um, the only stuff I liked was the, I didn't hate that stuff. It was fine. Um, it's but the stuff I, it's, yeah, I don't, it's not what I'm here for. Uh, but I did like, like you were describing, everybody being like, "Data, you can't die," and Data being like, "You're gonna die too." That's that's the thing. We're good. I could be sent back to 1849 in a thousand years. We don't know. Hmm. I'm cool, guys. Chill. Um, that was entertaining to me, but otherwise, whatever. You you mentioned a minute ago how like the, it's so service level. It's on the service level of like the Magic Tree House. Like we're back in yeah. 49. There's a guy who's in the gold rush and he's homeless and we're not going to talk about why. Please pay no yeah. attention to that. But then, and like, this is, I'm going to give full credit to the discord and particularly Arthur and Ryan for pointing this out. How funny it is that Guinan has lived through America's mm-hmm. history. And yeah. we are not going to talk about the fact that she's a black woman in 1840, a black woman in 1849 treated just like everyone else. Like she's a cool, rich lady Yep. Like she, and this is a direct quote from Arthur. She has seen the Great Depression, Jim Crow laws, internment camps, and <laughs> and then it's like, hey, it's Miss Guinan over there. What's going on, you beautiful rich woman? Like that's not real. That's not real. <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, it's irres. It's actually irresponsible to depict a, a world like that. It, it, like yeah just so strange i have no idea how they're or if they're going to handle that in season six i doubt it i just i think that they gave more time to showing mark twain being a funny wacky dude than they do to doing anything with san francisco and uh Mm -hmm. it's just not what the show is trying to do it's a mid episode for me yeah yeah i think this is a c episode especially as a finale yeah like i can acknowledge that i like i know why they made this a two-parter and I know why they didn't end on Inner Light, but both even both those things aside, this is a mediocre episode of Star Trek. Yeah. And that's where we go. That's where we leave off. From <laughs> June of 1992, we will be back in September of 1992 uh, <coughs> with season yeah. six of TNG. Yeah. So we're going to watch season six of TNG next. So you'll hear that. You're hearing this towards the beginning of April. You'll hear that episode towards the beginning of July uh, of this year. And then we want to know from you all what we should do next after season six of TNG, because there's kind of two, two schools of thought. One is finish TNG, go to season seven, and then go to DS9. Mm-hmm. The other school of thought is watch seasons more or less in airing order, and so go from this to go from season six of TNG to season one of DS9, and then go back to season seven of TNG and finish it out. Um, so you folks, let us know what you think. We're not familiar enough to know if there's crossover within those seasons, if that matters, or or what the more enjoyable watch experience is. But those are our two options that we'd love some feedback on. Hmm. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. 
And uh, otherwise, you'll hear us return to Birds of Prey next week, which is exciting. Oh, boy. Should I tell them what we're watching? Yeah, please do. So next time, it's our uh, coverage of Nature of the Beast and Gladiatrix, if you have those summaries. Uh, Nature of the Beast. Helena has to help the man who killed Dinah's mother. Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, and Gladiatrix is Fight Club for Women. Oh, boy. Okay. Mm. That's going to be weird. Uh, forgot to mention, uh, Magellan, anything that you know or are excited about from Season 6 of TNG? Um... Yeah, I think there's going to be more Cardassian stuff from what I understand, which will be cool. Awesome. Excited to see where that's going to go. Um, I'm I'm wondering what the big things are. I think maybe I've just been taught by shows like Farscape and B5 to expect season arcs, and that's not what TNG's doing. But I'm wondering if there's going to be kind of a main thread of season six. Um so I'm excited to see that. And uh, there's not, I guess, Worf and Alexander, what's next for them? Give me more Jordy. That's kind of my my vibe right now. Oh, my God. I'm looking at just brief summaries, and it's going to get so weird. If you thought TNG was done being weird and we were going to get into like serious stuff, you are wrong. Uh, oh, my God. This is so weird. Give me a taste. What if everyone on the ship was children? Love it. What if they went into the old west and all the bad guys were data? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you lost me and then you got me back. <laughs> um also it's like it's Worf and Alexander together going to the old west in the hog holodeck. Uh anyways. Um we're gonna get this is the things I'm excited about. We're gonna get Q again. Uh love Q. Love my my non binary boyfriend. We're gonna get a couple of classics. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get a return of a TOS character. Uh, pretty early on um and then we're gonna get there are four lights the famous chain of command two-parter where the the whole there are four lights scene is uh that's that's season six episodes 10 and 11 so um that's absolutely iconic that's probably one of the best two-parters of a series from what i hear oh my god every single time i look at a one sentence summary i get excited stop stop i have to stop we'll be back in three months for more trick chats We'll be back next week for more chats. Um, Magellan, where can people find you on the podcast sphere, please? You can find me on another podcast called Super Smash Echoes that I do with my friend Justin, where we play video games that are related to the Super Smash Brothers franchise. Super Smash Echoes, check it out. Alan, what about you? I can be found on a lot of ScanlineMedia.com podcasts. My friend Six and I do uh, the Creature Quorum, where we rate creatures from Pokemon and Monster Hunter. We're bringing back the Garnet Wager, our Korean game show review podcast slash lore dump fantasy anime nightmare uh, soon. So check out the Garnet Wager. Listen, we've been listening to old episodes and remembering how good the show ended and we want to do more plot stuff with it. If you like my voice and want to hear me talk about non-pop culture stuff, I do talking marketing every other month. And I have an episode scheduled for April 15th. So uh, that'll be out uh, literally about a week after you're hearing this. So talking marketing ama boston marketing interview podcast it's very fun um i can take the plugs on this week if you don't mind pal sure thing 
Our email address is chatspot at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-T-T-P-O-D at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at chatspot while that hell site continues to get worse by the day. We're on YouTube, Chats the Television Podcast, where we post Should You Watch and eventually other stuff. If you like the podcast, you can support us a few ways. We have uh, a page on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for you to review us and get the algorithm in our favor. Uh, Patreon.com slash chatspot is where you can donate to us every month and we'll give you bonus content in exchange, such as film commentaries, such as random hangout shows, such as pilots, and thank yous at the end of every main feed episode of Chats if you pay $5 or more a month. And as of today, our $5 patrons include Arthur, Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, Magellan's mom, Marcus, Michael, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Six, and Stefan. Our website is chatspod.com, and our podcast art for the main feed, main chat show, is done by Camilla. She's at Camilla Strator on the podcast platforms. I'm sorry, on the social media platforms. I'm dying. It's so late. Um, John, we do a last segment here called Chatsums on every main feed. If y'all don't know and you only listen to chats, you Trek Chats. First of all, welcome. We have a whole other thing we do. And second of all, Chatsums is a segment where we recommend things for you to listen to between now and the next episode of The Thing. So, Magellan, what is or are your Chatsums for this week? I have a TV Chatsum in the midst of what needing to watch Star Trek. Uh, I also sometimes watched the TV show that my girlfriend has been binge-watching. Uh, catching random episodes of it here and there. It's NCIS. Um, oh, sure. It's a fun one to have on and be like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> it's a show, it's like the you know perfect popcorn procedural stuff and also is like so weirdly deeply shaped by like the 9-11 era that if that is something that intellectually bothers you and intrigues you and you want to sometimes think about that and sometimes shut your brain off and enjoy a weird cop thing uh watch ncis um it's fun i'm not gonna say it's good but uh it's enjoyable to watch for many ironic and non-ironic reasons non-ironic non-ironic alan what about you i want to recommend a newsletter Ever since Twitter started falling apart, I've been looking for email newsletters to give me some sort of culture in my inbox instead of opening a social media app. And the one that has easily become my new favorite is Garbage Day. Um, this can be found at Garbage Day. Uh, it's a substack, so garbageday.email, I think, is the link. Just look up like Garbage Day newsletter. Basically, Ryan Broderick is a pop culture writer, mostly a like internet culture writer, who used to host a podcast called uh, oh, fuck, The Content Minds that recently uh, went on permanent hiatus. It is basically his collection of like the different weird, scary, interesting things happening on the internet. It has mainly lately been about like, here's what Twitter did this week and why that's messed up. It's super duper approachable though. He has a really funny writing style and it does a lot of good work as like, as a newsletter writer with like embedding things and including TikToks and things to distract you and keep you reading. I think he releases two a week. It's, it's easily the best newsletter that I read every every week. Um, if you're tired of actually reading social media and want to read about social media as someone who cares about where these platforms are going in our current hellscape, then check out Garbage Day. It's a good newsletter. Jean, before I go to sleep, nope. I'm, I'm, I'm dozing here. We're going to make it, though. We just have to say one more thing. 
which is that thank you for being the Jordi LaForge to my role, Aaron, because neither of us exist in this mortal plane. <laughs> and thank you all for listening to Trek Chats. Engage!